Good morning, this is Commission President Ryan Calkins convening the regular meeting of September 27th, 2022. The time is 10.32 a.m. We're meeting in person at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Cho, Felleman, Hasegawa, and Muhammad, who are get currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss three items regarding litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 4230110-1I and one item related to litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 4230110-1I and labor relations per RCW 4230144A for approximately 75 minutes and we'll reconvene into public session at 12 noon. Thank you. Good afternoon, this is Commission President Ryan Calkins reconvening the regular meeting of September 27th, 2022. The time is 12.05 p.m. We're meeting in person at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll of commissioners in attendance today? Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. I'm here as well. We do have a full commission with us today. Due to the continued virtual component of participation for our meetings, we have staff, external presenters, and members of the public who may be participating on their personal devices or from their telephones today. We've made arrangements to accommodate this virtual format. Later, we'll take public comment on items related to the conduct of the port from people who are participating by teams, as well as from those in person who have signed up to speak. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or you are a member of staff in a presentation or actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. When you are recognized to speak, you will press the button for your microphone to be audible, and will press it again to silence it when not actively speaking. All of the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting. Thanks for, help, for your help. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method since there is a virtual component to the meeting, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. To be equitable, I ask that all commissioners wait to be recognized before speaking. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people, with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website, and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. Uh, Commissioner Hasegawa has requested that item 8J be pulled from the consent agenda and addressed separately. Item 8K will be removed from the agenda at the request of staff and will not be addressed at this meeting. 
We also have a request for item 11A to be reordered to be the last presentation of the day to accommodate speaker availability. Are there any other motions to rearrange the orders of the day or any items to remove from the consent agenda for separate discussion? Commissioners. All right, uh, commissioners, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. I second. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to approval of the agenda as presented? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as presented. Today, we're beginning our business meeting with a very special event, the swearing into office of the port's new police chief, Michael Villa. Executive Director Metric will lead the ceremony, administer the oath of office. And I know that commissioners will also want to address Chief Villa. Chief Villa is joined here today by his wife, Peggy, family, friends, and staff. I think at this point I'm gonna, are they here now? There, terrific. Okay, one second. I <laughs> just wanted to make sure we had our special guest. <laughs> terrific. Um, okay, and I, I think, are we gonna have them come up and sit at the, all right. Can you sit here at the, at the dais? <laughs> All right, and at this time I'm going to turn it over to Executive Director Metric for some remarks and for the administration of the oath of office. Commissioners, this is a great day. I'm very happy today to welcome Chief Mike Villa, his wife Peggy, and all the officers and staff who've joined us today for the swearing in of our next Port of Seattle Police Chief. Now, let me say, too, when I see all the, the members of the uh, police force uh, in the back of the room, thank you for all that you do day in and day out, keeping us safe and secure. Thank you all. This is the culmination of a long journey for the port and Mike. It's brought us here today. But I think everyone will agree that Mike is the right person at the right time for the port and our police department. Mike Villa joined the Port of Seattle in 2017 after a long career with the Tukwila Police Department, and he served as interim chief since 2021. And I know, and I was going to just reflecting on this before we came in here, and a lot has happened in, in that time since you've been here, and it's been a, a pleasure to serve with you through these uh, many, uh, these many years, uh, both in your role now and your previous roles. My time here at the Port, I've come to know Mike not only as an outstanding police officer, but also a trusted leader, thoughtful decision maker, and a forward-thinking innovator, always looking ways to solve problems and make things better. The police department has a vital role in ensuring the safety and security of port facilities, as well as the employees and the members of the public who use those facilities. Mike understands this, this is a very broad and inclusive responsibility that is constantly involving and ever-changing every day, uh, everything that we face. Uh, we had an extensive recruitment process to fill the chief's position and had some very good candidates emerged, and Mike rose out of all of those. Thanks to Commissioner Hasegawa and other commissioners for their support and assistance through this process that really made it an involved and engaged process in the community and all the stakeholders here at the port. Thank you. So now, without further ado, I'd like to administer the oath of office to Mike Villa. Mike, will you and Peggy join me for the, for the oath? Raise your right hand, repeat after me. I, state your name. I, Michael Peter. 
Do solemnly swear that I will faithfully and impartially perform the duties of my office as the Chief of Police for the Port of Seattle. I will strive to further the vision, complete the mission, and model the values of the Port of Seattle Police Department. On my honor, I will never portray my badge, my integrity, my character, or the public trust. I will serve the members of the department in the Port of Seattle to the best of my ability. I will seek to ensure exceptional service in public safety to the Port of Seattle. I will uphold the Constitution of the United States in the state of Washington. So help me God. Congratulations. We have the signing here. So, Commissioners, I'd like to uh, present Chief Michael Villa. Well, he gave me the mic, so I, I guess that means I should make some comments real briefly. Um, and they will be brief. First, I, I just want to thank you, sir, uh, Director Metric. Um, thank also uh, Dave Soike um, and just the confidence that, that the two of you have put into me as well as the, the uh, commissioners, thank you very much. I, I feel just very um, honored and very thankful to be able to uh, serve uh, this police department. It is, a, it is a phenomenal police department made up of phenomenal and, and extraordinary uh, men and women. And so I thank you all for, for being here and just for your dedication and service. And, and again, it's just, it, it, it delights me to be able to serve with such caliber uh, people uh, here at the Port of Seattle. Um, also, just uh, I do want to thank, um, actually I'll come back to my family, but uh, um, Mayor uh, Alan Eckberg, uh, Tukwila Mayor, is here. Um, Mayor, if you don't mind standing up real briefly. And, and Tukwila, uh, I almost said Commissioner, Council Member, <laughs> Council Member Deshaun Quinn. And so, you know, I, I thank you for your support when I was in Tukwila, but even just the lasting relationship and friendship that, that we've been able to have over these years. And so I certainly wanted to acknowledge the two of them. Uh, many of our federal partners that are here, uh, FBI, TSA, CBP, and I knew if I started this, am I going to forget somebody? Um, Coast Guard. And so thank you very much for, for being here uh, today, um, as well as some of our other stakeholders and partners that we have, uh, Delta and Alaska. Um, so thank you very much for being here, uh, fire department. Anyway, I just I'm overwhelmed by the support, and I, I thank you for for being here. And then finally, um, my family, if, if you don't mind um, standing up um, real quick. So 
I'll just introduce them really quick. So my brother-in-law, Pat, my sister, Michelle, Teresa, my sister-in-law, or sister, really, Amy, uh, Jacqueline, Suzanne, and then my lovely wife, you've all seen up here, but Peggy, and, and just thank you so much for the support that you've given me over the years. Um, and then you can all sit down. Um. <laughs> so, so what about your children and your 10 grandchildren? Oh, yes, thank you. So um, they're watching online. Um, so they're all out of state right now, but my four children, uh, thank you very much for your support. I'm trying to look at the camera. Um, and, uh, and then, um, yes, nine grandchildren and um, uh, some others on the way. So, <laughs> but just the support that they gave me over the, the, the years, 32 years in law enforcement, um, it's not always easy as, as a family of law enforcement officers. So I, I thank you very much for your support. And then finally, just going back to my wife, really, just, uh, you know, she's in this with me. She has been during my entire career. A lot of sacrifice as a, as a spouse. And, uh, and so I thank you. She also tells me I'm getting more emotional the older I get. <laughs> but anyway, so I can't say enough as far as uh, just thank you, thanking you for that support and uh, the sacrifices you've made uh, as a spouse. Um, and I know that there's other spouses and um, significant others that make those same sacrifices. So I thank you uh, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chief Ian. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. At this time, I'm going to open it up for comments from commissioners. Any commissioners want to share a comment? Commissioner Hasegawa. Chief Via, I cannot think of a higher calling than public service. And your continued commitment to serve the people of King County on behalf of the Port of Seattle um, is so admirable. Policing as a profession is not getting easier. And that's why we were committed to making sure that all the stakeholders had visibility and input into this process. And the message that we heard was clear from external stakeholders, internal stakeholders, your current, your previous colleagues, leadership at the port. You are a wonderful leader and leadership matters, particularly in policing. I think that the presence in this room is a testament to the respect and the trust that we have in you. And indeed, we as commissioners trust you. We expect continued excellence. And above all, above all it is our honor to be able to keep you as our own in perpetuity. Thank you so much, and congratulations. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, you know, um, I just, are we okay? <laughs> I want to echo the sentiments of Commissioner Hazakawa, and I know the sentiments of our entire commission here. Chief Via, there's no doubt in our minds of your competence and your leadership. I, I agree with uh, Commissioner Hazagawa. Uh, those who have showed up to congratulate you today is a true testament to how much we as an organization, but also the Port family, and quite frankly, uh, even those outside of the Port family believe in you. The fact that Mayor Eckberg is here is, 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 a, is, a, is a testament to that. The fact that you have uh, our interagency partners here is a testament to that. And so I want to thank you for that. 
Um, you know, for the public, I don't think people realize how truly unique and special the Port of Seattle Police Department is. Uh, we are unlike any other po police department anywhere, given the fact that we uh, secure an airport and a harbor. Um, not just, you know, uh, compared to other police departments, but as a department, even within the port itself. You know, oftentimes we're divided by maritime and aviation, whereas the Port of Seattle Police Department handles both sides of, the, of, of our organization. And so you have a very unique job, and the job description for that unique job was not an easy one to meet. And so I hope you're proud of how you've, uh, you've met the bar for us, and, and there's a lot of expe great, good expectation. I also want to take a, a moment to uh, thank your wife, Peggy, on behalf of the commission. Uh, they say that behind every successful man, or I should say next to every successful man, is a strong woman. And it's not lost upon us how dangerous uh, and, uh, you know, this job is, especially uh, at the Port of Seattle, where we, as we just discussed uh, behind closed doors, how we have very unique incidents. Um, and so thank you so much for the, for the support you continue to provide to Chief Villa so that he can continue to serve us. It, it, I really hope that... It, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's clear to you that we really do appreciate that. Um, so uh, thank you so much again. Really looking forward to the terrific work we're going to be doing together, and congratulations. Commissioner Fellman. Well, this is one of the occasions where it's nice to pile on. I, I will keep it short, though. I do want to thank you greatly for all the service you've done here and for the family that's put up with this and the servicemen and women in this area that uh, have continued to provide great service to our, to our region and the port in particular. I think um, the fact that you had all these years in Tequila is also a particularly great example of knowing your neighborhood and uh, community policing we know is a very highly valued, highly valued issue. But really what's most valued is, you know, in leadership is, uh, you know, walking the talk and demonstrating by your integrity and how that filters through the entire organization and I think you know the the demonstration that you provide for the for the whole organization and for all of us is uh, it's a pleasure and the um, humbleness and direct communication that you provide to us is invaluable so we know where we stand because you're clear where you stand and that's hugely valuable to all of us so thank you all for providing this great service to us Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Uh, congratulations, Chief Via. It has been great working with you for the short period of time we've known each other. You are um, so responsive, humble, and approachable. I, um, I haven't said this to you, but I see you bring so much of your lived and professional experience to this work. You show great leadership and connection to the community at large. In King County, I've heard from so many people, and I'm virtual today, but I can say that I can feel the energy that is in the room, and that speaks volume to your leadership. Um, I also just want to acknowledge the, port's re the port recently went through a robust police accountability effort. Uh, the commission was committed to having uh, the new chief reflect those values, and I'm so happy that we picked you, Chivia. Congratulations. This is a well-deserved uh, recognition and position for you. Thank you for the time.
And I'm going to share some comments too, although they're not going to be compliments because you've gotten plenty of this. <laughs> I, I think you know, I think you're an extraordinary leader and I've been thrilled to work with you on uh, a couple of matters that are, um, I think, demonstrative of your leadership and the need and the, and your demonstration of the understanding of the need for continuous improvement, not just in the Port of Seattle at large, but in in our police department and, and policing generally. And you have come to these tasks with that understanding that uh, policing needs to evolve. And the example, the most prominent example I think of is the police accountability task force that you and I served on. Uh, and the work that you did not only to provide the kind of information that the advisory group needed to be able to make good decisions, but then when the recommendations rolled out, you immediately instituted more than a majority of them uh, without having to be compelled to do it before we could even ask and because you understood the value of continuing to, to evolve our police department for the better. And so, you know, through this process, I, was, I had my fingers crossed hoping that you would be selected for this and I'm, I'm really grateful that I get to continue to work with you. I think the focus of our police force uh, needs to continue to be and strive towards being guardians and so when we think about all of the folks who come through our airport, passengers, workers, we're thinking about how do we guard them against danger. And when folks in crisis come into our airport, our first thought is how do we ensure that they get out of here alive? And I know that all of you take on a very dangerous duty, and so I'm thrilled to know that the person in charge of this has that mentality that we will seek to be guardians and ensure that everybody goes home safely. So thank you for taking this role. We're asking a very uh, great deal from you, and I look forward to working with you on into the future. At this point, we're going to take about a five-minute recess to let the room clear, get some pictures, I think, and then we'll uh, come back in about five minutes. We are in recess. All right, we're reconvening now. And next on our agenda is the executive director's report. Executive Director Metric. Thanks, commissioners. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. I want to begin by wishing everyone a healthy and peaceful new year to all who are celebrating Rosh Hashanah and uh, Shana Tova. Good afternoon, commissioners. Since we're meeting at Seattle Tacoma International Airport today, I'd like to begin my remarks by acknowledging the significant passenger congestion experienced experience at uh, SEA earlier this month. The long lines and delays did not meet our high standards for customer service. We know many passengers were delayed and some missed their flights due to this congestion. I want to ensure the Commission and the public that we take the situation very seriously and we've had extensive conversations with our airport partners to address these issues going forward. The airport and TSA are taking immediate and longer term steps to improve operations, including bringing on additional screening staff and other action, actions to ease congestion. We've already seen improvement in processing passengers as a result of these actions. For the port, we will assign our own canine teams as available to assist passenger screening. Some passengers may have had may have more time than others. We're creating a dedicated team to advance passengers on flights departing within 45 minutes. VIP staff and pathfinders will help escort passengers to Spot Saver Line at checkpoints two and three. There are some 
<clears throat> there are some comments that the arrival of cruise passengers uh, for their flights was a major factor in this most recent congestion. This was not the case since cruise passengers arrived on the same schedule they have, they have done all summer. I want to credit the TSA for the success earlier this summer. TSA brought in additional staff from around the country to cover the SEA summer peak, which went very well. That additional staffing was reduced after Labor Day with the expectation that travel would decrease. What we have seen, however, is that the demand for travel remains high with numbers continuing to stay at summer levels, and we're adjusting to that. We work continuously to improve our service performance. We're making many investments to improve the customer experience at SEA, one of which you'll hear about later today. In further airport news, we continue to make improvements while we continue to operate the airport. Everyone should know that the lower arrivals, arrivals drive will be closed from midnight to 7 a.m. through this coming Saturday morning. This closure is necessary as we complete the removal of an overpass near the terminal to make way for some future roadway improvements. Things went well today in this work. In fact, the work was completed early. We, we have full details on our website and we're getting the word out to public via multiple means. You may have heard it on the radio and other means that you get your news. In other news, annually, the American Association of Port Authorities Lighthouse Awards are the port industry's foremost recognition program designed to highlight premier best practices throughout the Western Hemisphere. The goal of the awards is to recognize the best port programs and projects that stand as a beacon of excellence across the industry. Broken down into four categories, communications, environmental improvement, facilities engineering, and information technology. This year, the Port of Seattle is honored to to be selected as the winner of the Information Technology Awards for our creation and use of the Equity Index. The, the selection highlighted the methodology and the process of creating the Equity Index, as well as the ways we have applied it and hope to continue to incorporate this tool in all of our work. Also of note, this is the second year in a row that the Port of Seattle has received an AAPA Lighthouse Award for work performed by our Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. In 2021, we received an Award of Excellence in Communications category for the Black Lives Matter caucusing series that engaged more than 250 port employees in the wake of the deeply racialized and tragic killings of Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Congratulations to the whole uh, OEDI team for their continued excellence and engagement in advancing this difficult and necessary work. I'd like, also like to congratulate Crystal Roberts, former manager of strategic and organizational business partners, and Tina Soike, former chief engineer and director of engineering services, as the most recent recipients of the Pat Davis Legacy of Leadership Award. Named in honor of long-serving Port Commissioner Pat Davis, the Women's Legacy of Leadership Award was created in 2009 to honor women of integrity whose core interests are aligned with port values and have made substantive uh, contributions to advance the port's mission. Crystal Roberts receives the award after 33 years of service to the port. During this time, she facilitated change management, mentoring programs, led the initiative that created the port's raise values, and many more. Tina Soike receives this award after four decades of service to the port. During her time, she broke down barriers for women in traditionally majority male fields, led a broad range of capital projects, served as a mentor for many fellow employees, and much, much more. Both Tina and Crystal will be honored on Thursday, October 6th at Pier 69 at 11.30 a.m. 
We expect many past honorees to be in attendance as well and hope that you can uh, join us. Congratulations to both Crystal and Tina. Moving on to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. On the consent agenda is an authorization to replace baggage claims 15 and 16. This is separate from the larger baggage claim level optimization plan and will modernize two of our carousels, increase capacity and create additional tenant space. During the staff presentation, presentations portion of our meeting today, you'll receive a briefing on our central services budget. This briefing kicks off, many, <clears throat> kicks off the first of many briefings you'll hear on our proposed 2023 budget. I'll have more to say when I introduce the briefing. Looking ahead, Port Leaders will host two additional public open houses on the 2023 budget and the five-year capital plan prior to the introduction of our budget proposal on October 20th. The 2023 budget and five-year capital plan public open house for the Maritime and Economic Development Divisions will be held online on October 12th at 4 p.m. The Aviation Public House will take place online on October 13th at 4 p.m. Members of the public may participate online or watch a recording of the Port's 2023 budget webpage. Adoption of the 23 budget is planned for November 29th. Of course, I'll be probably talking more about these. Uh, I know I will be talking more about these uh, timelines in, uh, when we reduce the uh, central services budget. So, the commissioners, that completes my report. Thank you. Is your mic on? Thank you, Executive Director Metric. Is there any uh, follow up, Commissioner Mohammed? Commissioner Mohammed, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go right ahead. Great. Executive Metric, thank you for that thorough update of all of port businesses. Um, I had uh, just a couple questions related to the TSA wait lines. Um, I appreciate the comments that you've already provided. Um, I, similar to you, want to, to start by expressing gratitude to all our partners, port staff, that was dealing with the unusual situation at SEA. I also want to acknowledge and recognize how hard everyone is working and appreciate the workers who came in early and stayed late to keep those lines moving. Um, and I, I also want to acknowledge that, you know, Everyone agrees that the situation from last weekend was unacceptable. Um, we heard the public loud and clear through email, uh, social media channels, and you know we agree with, with, with the public that the situation was unacceptable. And so my question for you, Executive Metric, and maybe the aviation leadership is, you know, what are what are we doing now to resolve the issue? And I know you've touched on a little bit of that. I am trying to better understand what what are some of the accountability measures we are putting in place to make sure that it doesn't happen again and that we communicate that clear to the public. And I am looking for ways that our partners can work together. That's TSA, the airlines, the port. Um, I understand it can be 
challenging to adequately staff TSA personnel. And so, you know, my, my question is, what can the port do to assist TSA around recruitment? Um, just recently, we received an email from a constituent who had delays when uh, re-entering the United States. And are, you know, are there ways we can support CBP as well um, as they perform their mission? And I welcome uh, answers to this question here today. And um, also, I welcome a, a, a full public briefing at a later date if that is more reasonable. Thank you. That concludes my question. Yeah, thanks, Commissioner. I think we we talked about that. We continually look at um, we continue to look at and work with our partners. You mentioned two of them, TSA and CBP, uh, in ensuring that. And that's something we we fully support. You know, the resourcing and then the proper resourcing of both uh, TSA and CBP in our actions there. But I'll be glad to. I covered a few things here, but I don't know, Lance, if you want to talk about some of the uh, some of the um, measures that we put in place. Managing Director of Aviation, uh, Lance Little, just to just to talk about the process of really undertaking some of those. Um, we heard some of the improvements here, but I think I think it's an ongoing thing, dep depending on uh, continuing to adapt to the situation that we face um, in in any given circumstance, Lance. I don't know if you can add any more details. Uh, yeah, well, I think one of the options um, Commissioner Mohammed requested was if we could do a briefing at a later date. I would rather do that. We have been working very closely with sure. our TSA um, our partners. Steve, you have outlined some of the measures um, that we're undertaking, including um, staffing and a whole lot of measures. Other measures, some of them are security-sensitive information that we can't discuss in public. Um, but I'd be willing to provide additional information at a later date. Good. Thanks, thanks, Lance. And commissioners, that's what I'll, we'll give a follow-up and coordinate with the staff on that to get that additional information. Commissioner Fellman? That would be wonderful. Are you done, Commissioner Mohammed? Yes, I was just responding and saying that would be wonderful, and I do welcome uh, a full briefing at a later date. I just had a friend that came through the airport, and one of the things observations he had was just the question about uh, whether there could be a better utilization of the clear lines. That, you know, it's great to have that expedited clearance, it's just not a lot of people are using it, so you have people that could potentially use it and the other ones getting, you know, go past that line. I'm just hoping in the course of exploring future options, we might be able to look at potential dual use or better utilization of some of those lines if possible. All right, we are now at committee reports. I'm going to turn it over to Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, who will provide the report. Good afternoon, uh, President Calkins and Commissioners. I have three committee reports for you today. The Board of Ethics met on Thursday, September 15. Members of the board welcome newly appointed member Lindsay Pulsifer, overviewed the last organizational meeting held, were issued port emails for conducting port business, received a status update on the ethics court ethics code review project and discuss future steps for the board. The board will continue to receive project updates and will meet as necessary to conduct this work. The Sustainability, Environment and Climate Committee convened by Commissioners Kalkin and Hasegawa met on September 26, where they were briefed on the Ground Transportation Analysis and Ground Transportation Access Plan, GTAP. 
Commissioners welcome David Tomparalski, who recently joined the port to manage the GTAP program, then offered their input on various program options and incentives to reduce the number of vehicles and for greenhouse gas reduction. Commissioners also received a briefing on trees and forest stewardship opportunities and offered their input on next steps and timing to bring the trees and forest stewardship principles and uh, SCA land stewardship plan together for action in late Q1 or Q2 of 2023, which will include habitat, creeks, and streams. Commissioners Fellman and Hasegawa convened the Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee meeting on September 26th and received a briefing on the City, city of Seattle's final EIS on industrial lands zoning from external relations staff. The, the EIS is expected to be released on September 29th. Staff are working with Commissioners Hasegawa and Fellman to determine the port's response to the EIS. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Any uh, questions or follow-ups from commissioners? All right, thank you so much, Erica. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. We're making a few adjustments to our procedures to more closely align with the requirements of our bylaws. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to the topics related to the conduct of port business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior, including, but not limited to obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment. Leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment provided speakers may offer written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When the clerk calls your name, if you're joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and are also streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you're speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. For all speakers, if any topic is not related to the conduct of port business, the speaker will be asked to speak to items related to the conduct of the port or otherwise leave the microphone. As a reminder, comment time will be limited to two minutes per person. Clerk Hart, please call our first speaker. Thank you, and just give me a moment here to get the timer up.
thank you for that. Our first speaker that we have today, we will call from the room, beginning with Iris Antman. Iris, if you could come to the table and repeat your name and your port-related topic for the record, please. Is uh, the speaker's on, yes. Um, good afternoon, my name is Iris Antman. I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control. Ordinarily, on a day like today, I'd stay indoors. Iris, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you please state your topic for the record? Uh, it's about um, cruising and uh, the climate. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Ordinarily, on a day like today, I would stay indoors. I have lung disease, and the air quality in Seattle is not good. But I'm here because the port is celebrating World Tourism Day. I'm having cognitive dissonance that global tourism and a concerted effort to increase its volume is held as something to be celebrated. At the same time, we have unhealthy air quality due to the climate crisis that worsens every day. Pakistan underwater, Nova Scotia devastated by Hurricane Fiona, Puerto Rico without power again, the Colorado River almost dry, the climate crisis is wreaking havoc around the world. In Seattle, we're having smoky days and record-breaking high temperatures, still relatively mild compared to other places. But to ignore and turn away from the heat, floods, fires, and droughts that are killing millions, displacing tens of millions, and ravaging hundreds of millions of acres of land and forests across the globe is not okay and denies our very humanity. And it's beyond ironic that Seattle to Alaska cruises visit glaciers that they're melting and whales that they're starving, more like cynical than ironic. We know the maritime industry is working to develop cleaner fuels, but those are decades out. And until they're developed, let's stop unnecessary cruise travel. We all have a part to play to address the biggest existential threat to humankind. Please end cruising and develop environmentally friendly businesses and activities on our waterfront. Build wind turbines, develop offshore marine farming, reach out to young creative thinkers to develop new ideas, invite them onto your team. Help Seattle become a beacon to honestly and effectively address the climate crisis. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Antman. Next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Bill Myers. Hello, my name is Bill Myers. Bill? My topic is. Oh, thank you, Bill. Yes. You can hear me? We can. Okay, so uh, Bill Myers, my topic is environmental impact. Um, I, uh, this is my first Port of Seattle meeting and my first public comment, but I hope to come to more. Uh, I live in Northeast Seattle, so there are no direct impacts on me, but I want to add to the concerns that apparently have already been expressed many times about greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, I originally became aware from scientists about the greenhouse gas problem back in 1988 or 1990, around then, because I was working on the campaign to save the ozone layer. And it's amazing that 32 years later, people are not trying to end this unnecessary emissions of carbon dioxide by jets and apparently by cruise ships. 
So um, I don't have details on the Port of Seattle. I'm really just learning about the Port of, of Seattle. So I'm going to be doing more research, and I want to know more about the Port of Seattle operations in, in general. Uh, and I will be attending future meetings. So thank you for letting me comment. Thank you, Mr. Myers. Clerk, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker from the room is Peggy Prince. Peggy, if you could repeat your name and your port-related topic for the record. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, I'm, I'm Peggy Prince, and I'm also going to speak about cruising and the climate. World Tourism Day today offers an excellent opportunity to reassess our priorities. With our planet in peril, we must start culling our most damaging activities. Tourism, which is voluntary and non-essential, is a good place to start. And cruise is one of the most polluting and exploitative forms of tourism. Here in Seattle, the six-month cruise season, including passenger flights, generates the equivalent of a third as much greenhouse gases as the entire city emits in a year. Earlier this year, the port voted to spend up to a half million dollars promoting Seattle cruises to European tourists. International flights have a huge greenhouse gas footprint. Please consider reversing this decision and please consider other measures you could take to start phasing out, not growing, crews. For example, limiting the size and number of the vessels allowed in port and prohibiting ships without shore power capability. Take this World Tourism Day to reflect on what you should do if you really want to be the greenest port in North America. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Prince. Clerk, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Matthew House. Matthew, um, if you're joining us virtually, please restate your name and your port-related topic for the record. Check-in. Okay, and we'll come back and call Matthew again. So moving to Martha Kongsgaard. Martha, please state your name and your port-related topic for the record. My name is Martha Kongsgaard, and I will comment on the important partnership between the Port of Seattle and the Seattle Aquarium and my strong support thereof. I serve as the chair of the campaign cabinet for the Aquarium's One Ocean, One Future campaign, which is tasked with helping deliver the new Ocean Pavilion project for our region. As former chair of the Puget Sound Partnership, it became very apparent to me the challenges facing our local Salish Sea and the integral role that the world's ocean plays in our collective effort to fight climate change. Seattle has deep maritime roots and our connection to the water dates back to the indigenous Coast Salish peoples who've stewarded these lands since time immemorial. Our region continues to be global leaders when it comes to the ocean climate nexus and to ocean stewardship broadly. <laughs> right now, our city has been presented with a powerful opportunity to reconnect with our ocean roots by building a world-class aquarium focused on conservation right at the heart of our new waterfront and its reimagined 20-block park. As waterfront neighbors that share a foundational commitment to being green or, or blue, uh, we're both working to build a more inclusive and accessible model of environmental stewardship. The MOU and joint exhibit uh, that are being presented here today set a rock-solid and inspired foundation for future partnerships that will be critical if we're going to turn the tide on climate. 
I want to thank the Port for your continued commitment to our marine environment and all life that depends on it, and for your investment in this important civic project that will help shape environmental education and conservation actions for generations to come. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ms. Kongsgaard. Clerk, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Jordan Van Vost. Jordan, please restate your name and your port-related topic for the record. Yes, my name is Melissa Mager. I'm commenting today on the memorandum of understanding between the Port of Seattle and... Okay. I'm sorry? Go ahead um, and proceed, Ms. Mager. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, between the memorandum of understanding between the Port of Seattle and the Seattle Aquarium. I also might mention that I'm your neighbor. I live here in SeaTac, so I'm uh, aware of the port's uh, uh, work every day, and uh, I appreciate the, that there's a new uh, police commissioner on board. I'd like to share my thanks uh, to the uh, Port of Seattle and to let you know that my comments today are to comment on the strong support uh, the, the continued partnership between the Seattle Aquarium and the Port of Seattle. I am the chair of the board of the Seattle Aquarium, and we know that this partnership is going to help restore ocean health and biodiversity, and that as we go forward with our new building, it will be a wonderful complex uh, that will uh, permit us to operate in ways that give back to the environment. As an organization, the Seattle Aquarium, we're excited to help Seattle lead the country, if not the world, in this effort. And we could not be more pleased to have the Port of Seattle as our partner in these efforts. In building the Ocean Pavilion, the aquarium is excited to be delivering one of the greenest aquariums in the world. The pavilion will operate 100% fossil fuel free, and 96% of the seawater we use will be recirculated. Water will be efficiently heated using electricity from Seattle's clean grid and using cutting edge technology. We will recapture heat from the heated water to warm the building when needed. Our new building will exceed Seattle's green building standards and is targeting the living building pedal certification in key sustainability areas. And the expanded aquarium will help support groundbreaking global programs related to species reintroduction. In just the past year, the aquarium has been proud to work with partners to save the... Is Mi that my time is up? Yes, it is. Thank oh, you so much okay, for your comments. You. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Van Vost, go ahead and proceed. Hi, my name is Jordan Van Vos with Seattle Cruise Control, and I'm here to speak about cruising and the climate. It was 81 degrees at SeaTac Airport yesterday afternoon, breaking another heat record for all-time high temperature. Normal high temperature at this time of the year is somewhere in the mid-60s, but these aren't normal times anymore, and to the extent we forget that, we are in dangerous denial. Post-tropical storm Fiona just slammed Atlantic Canada with historic destruction. Three-quarters of a million people in Puerto Rico are still without power. Gulf Coast Florida is looking down the barrel of a major hurricane right now. Our oceans are warming rapidly, creating more powerful hurricanes linked to the burning of fossil fuels. Wildfires are burning across the U.S., Mexico, and western Canada north to the Arctic Circle. 
Wildfire smoke invades our region with increasing regularity. Our summers are hotter and longer and winters are shorter. Meanwhile, the Port of Seattle continues to promote cruise ship business as good for our collective future, referring to it as an economic engine for our region. You can't eat money. Our food supply depends upon a stable climate, which is disappearing in our lifetime. When will you acknowledge that we are in a climate emergency? Please start acting with responsibility for future generations and begin transitioning away from this non-essential business instead of continuing to invest in an unsustainable future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Van Vost. Clerk, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Bernadine Lund. Bernadine, if you could repeat your name and your um, topic related to the conduct of the port for the record, please. Hello, this is Bernadine Lund, and my topic is um, uh, tourism and the climate. Um, right now, the port has two contradictory goals. One is to address the climate crisis by meeting the set emission targets, and the second is to increase business partly by promoting tourism. You need to rethink these contradictory goals so that travel does not have a more negative impact on the environment. As a first priority, the port needs to reduce climate CO2 emissions. It seems essential that each time there is a proposal for expansion or work done at the port, the plan should discuss the impact on the climate goals. Um, this, I was going to add this part, but the thought that uh, metric was talking about the demand for travel. There is no real demand for travel. It's created. It's just like there used to be demand for cigarettes until we said, no, you can do it. There was demand for opioids before we said, no, you can't sell them anymore. So, yes, advertising works, and it's got to stop. Um, there are other ways to promote tourism other than flying by cruising and flying. For example, a list of 50 places to visit in each state has been developed. How many? How is the Seattle Tourism promoting these places to state residents? How many of those areas have you visited in Washington? I know I haven't visited half of them in Washington, and neither half in Oregon, for which I where I grew up. To be equitable, tourism needs to avoid forms of tourism that advertise low prices because workers are being exploited and by using the dirtiest fuels available. Why is it not? It is not equitable to have 80% of the people who do not fly subsidize the 20% who do fly. Why do countries that have few flyers like Pakistan have a $10 billion bill for destruction done by global warming? And I did a quick comparison. There are 8 billion people in the, in the world right now. I guess that's it. Thank you, Ms. Thank Lund. you for letting me talk. You bet. Clerk, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Andrea O'Farrell. Andrea, if you can restate your name and your port-related topic for the record. Thank you. Sorry, I pre-recorded myself because I always get upset. Andrea O'Farrell. I'm going to be talking about cruises in the climate as well. And I'm, it's two minutes and one second. 
In 2019, I told my principal I would not be returning the next year because I could see we were far down the road of climate and ecological disaster, and I needed to step up with all my effort. I asked him to pay more attention to the crisis that was unfolding. He said that while he admired my focus on this one topic, he was more interested in combating childhood obesity. Global warming and ecological destruction, one topic? I did not belabor my point, and I was glad when he allowed me to start a native plant garden in a quarter of the playground. Why do I mention this? Because my one topic is all-encompassing. As for cruises, I see them as one part of this huge global reckoning. We need to be acting as though we are in a climate crisis, an ecological emergency, because we are. Again, I will quote Antonio Guterres, the one politician who is stating, shouting the truth. After UN Climate Roundtable September 21st, Guterres made a public statement where he described the goal of holding warming temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius as failing fast. He blamed world leaders for being out of step with the global public on climate. We have all seen the appalling images from Pakistan, and this is just at 1.2 degrees of global warming, and we are heading for over 3 degrees, he warned. Leaders, port leaders, business leaders are not thinking, not feeling, not believing, not keeping us safe. Cruises are bad for so many reasons. Number one being their flagrant use of fossil fuel, both from the ships themselves and the planes that bring tourists here. We must stop this dangerous industry. World Tourism Day is not something to be celebrating. Thank you, Ms. O'Farrell. Clerk, our next speaker. Yes, I'm going to go back and call for Matthew Houts one more time. And then moving to Robin Briggs. Robin, if you could restate your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port for the record, please. Hi, my name is Robin Briggs and I'm talking about air and um, cruises. Um, thank you, uh, Port Commissioners, for giving me the opportunity to speak. The port could and should be supporting sustainable tourism. I love to travel. I haven't done any for five years because of concerns about the climate. I think the port should be working towards a future where either there is drastically less flying or where flying causes drastically less pollution. I also think the port should be working towards limiting cruises or making them more sustainable, getting rid of the bunker fuel, downsizing the ships, and making sure that our marine wildlife has an opportunity to survive. I'm concerned that as a county resident, my tax revenue is going to promote and support these practices that are killing the orcas and destroying the marine habitat that was our birthright. I'm asking the port to lay out a plan of how we can address these problems and sustain our air and waters. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Briggs. Uh, Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Stacy Oaks. Stacy, if you could repeat your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Stacy Oaks, and I'll be speaking about cruise ships and World Tourism Day. I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control. I've lived along the Salish Sea since I was born, and one of the greatest joys in my life is being a grandmother and an auntie. I am constantly watching my words and my actions to make sure they're in line with being a good teacher and role model. 
And I also think a lot about what kind of ancestor I want to be. Every year it gets harder and harder to be optimistic about our future, about the world we're leaving for our children. If we don't collectively change our priorities and the way we do things, our problems are only going to intensify. Wildfires, heat waves, droughts, crop failure, flooding, lack of access to clean drinking water, mass extinction of insects and animals, melting glaciers, and sea level rise. Less resources and stability lead to wars, refugees, poverty, and disease. We know the activities that are making these things worse, and we keep doing them. We lock refugees in cages or only offer them the worst jobs available for insulting and unlivable wages while conveniently ignoring the fact that our actions helped create the conditions they had to flee. Cruise ships create an insane amount of air and water pollution, burn massive amounts of fossil fuels that are propelling us deeper into climate chaos, and prey upon people from destabilized nations to provide the labor under inhumane conditions. Is this the kind of vacation that a good ancestor would participate in? Is this the kind of business that a good ancestor would support? Or would they be working to eliminate it? I hope all of you can take some time later to seriously think about what kind of ancestor you want to be. This is your chance. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Oaks. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Sandra Toussaint. Sandra, if you could repeat your name and your, con or your topic related to the conduct of the port for the record, please. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Sandra Toussaint with SCIU 6, and I'm here today to ask this body to not let up on service workers as health care. Our airport workers deserve affordable, accessible, and guaranteed health care. They put their bodies on the line every day to ensure that every passenger that travels through SeaTac Airport has the support they need to get to their flight. Be it pushing wheelchairs or lifting baggage, they do this uh, literally backbreaking work to keep, up, keep our airport moving, but have to pay out of pocket for the care that they need to serve the airport's customers. One third of airport passenger service workers on are on Medicare. Another third are wholly without insurance. Uh, leaving the people of your community without adequate health care is not promoting social responsibility, as the port claims is part of their mission. Uh, we are asking you to do the right thing. We are asking you to provide these hardworking, dedicated, essential workers with the health care they need and the health care they deserve. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Sun. Clerk Hart, final speaker. Yes, thank you. Our next speaker is Dan McKisson. Dan, if you could restate your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port for the record, please. Mr. McKisson, we can hear you. Now we cannot. All right, how's that? Great, All right, thank this you. Is Dan McKisson. This is, Alde, uh, this is Dan McKisson with the ILW Local 19 uh, in Seattle speaking on behalf of the members of Local 19 on the cruise industry. I'd just like to note that the uh, cruise industry brings hundreds of jobs to our local every year during the cruise ship season. 
not only with uh, to our local, it brings uh, jobs to the uh, region, including the farmers and uh, other uh, people who provide the products that replenish these ships that uh, give people a chance to see Alaska. Um, I agree with a lot of the uh, other comments how we need to address the fuels, and that's in all areas of maritime. We are 100% behind cold ironing of these ships. It's very important that we cut down on the uh, the uh, uh, the exhaust from these ships when they're in port and uh, when they're sailing. I just want to be clear, though, that you know we also do not we have not supported in the past the uh, proposal for another cruise ship terminal, Terminal 46. We believe that should be a cargo terminal. Um, we have the sufficient amount of cruise ship terminals in the port, we believe, right now, and it creates work uh, all through the week instead of just on the weekends uh, for our members. So I appreciate the time to comment. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. McKisson. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, and our final speaker today that I have signed up, I believe, is Dan, or I'm sorry, Tom Barnard. Tom, if you could restate your name and your topic related to the conduct of the port for the record, please. Yes, my name is Tom Barnard, and uh, I, I'm going to be talking about World Tourism Day and cruising. Uh, commissioners, this is World Tourism Day, as you know. Well, tourism is one of those feel-good activities everybody, especially politicians, love to love. But here in Seattle, a major part of tourism promotion is not just supporting, but actually ramping up an industry whose vessels are registered in some developing country for the purpose of exempting them from U.S. or Canadian laws concerning workers' rights and environmental protections and avoiding paying taxes whose vessels burn some of the dirtiest fuel on the planet, whose air emissions worldwide sicken and poison near port residents, whose visits can wreak havoc on the local economy, whose ship drains sewage, sulfuric exhaust waste and engine residue into the open ocean, whose propellers harm marine life both directly and indirectly, and whose combined greenhouse gas impact of those ships, as well as the airline industry's passengers flights generates the equivalent of a third as much greenhouse gases as the entire city emits in a year. You are caught in a massive contradiction. You are promoting an industry who is destroying the very environment that people are traveling here to see. What's worse is that for the most part, you have an attitude of, well, we're regulating some of their activities here, so we're all good, as if there was some magical border beyond which you don't have to concern yourself with. As for the Green Corridor, <coughs> all the Green Corridors in the world will not change the basic nature of the cruise industry, which was reliant on more trips, larger vessels, and more passengers to feed its never-ending appetite for profit. This is not how you make the Port of Seattle the greenest port in North America. Thank you for listening. And I will just note that I am a, I live five blocks from here, so this is a personal issue. Thank you, Mr. Barnard. That concludes our sign-ups for today. Is there anyone else present or on the team's call who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission?
Okay. Uh, with that, um, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments we've received. From anyone in the room as well? Oh, is there anyone else in the room who did not sign up but is interested in giving public comment? Okay. Clerk, will you do a synopsis of the written comments? Yes, thank you. Mr. Commission President, members of the commission, we only have received one written comment today that has been previously distributed to you for your review. And it comes from Linda Carroll, who asked the port to rescind support for mega cruise ships. And that concludes the written comments received today. Thank you very much, Clerk Hart. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. Item 8J has been pulled from the consent agenda and will be addressed separately, and item 8K is removed from the agenda for this meeting. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda items covering 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, 8F, 8G, 8H, and, HI, and 8I. So moved. Can I get a second? Seconded. Uh, the motion was made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. You have five ayes and zero nays for approval of the agenda. Okay. The motion passes. Uh, we're now going to address items removed from the consent agenda. Clerk Hart, can you please read the item into the record and then we'll turn to Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Uh, we are going to allow Commissioner Hasegawa to speak first since she was the, uh, she requested the item be pulled. Thank you. This is agenda item 8J, authorization for the executive director to execute a contract for natural gas supply to the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport in the amount of $12 million. Commissioners, today we're asking for approval to procure fossil-based natural gas for our central mechanical plant in Bus Fleet. As you know, the port signed a 10-year contract in 2020 to purchase enough renewable natural gas, RNG, to reduce our overall carbon emissions by 50% and achieve our 2030-50% reduction goal nearly eight years early. This current request is needed to supply the remaining amount of our fossil natural gas for our central mechanical plant to heat our terminal buildings. As noted in the commission memo, we're evaluating options to convert our central mechanical plant to electrify and expect to transition to electric buses in an effort to fully decarbonize the airport's operations by 2040. This contract will ensure we have adequate fuel supplies until those transitions can be completed. Uh, the presenters we have here today are uh, Keith Warner, Utilities Business Manager, Aviation Facilities and Infrastructure, and Stephanie Mind, the uh, Climate Program Manager for Aviation Environmental Programs. So with that, I'll turn it over to Keith. Good afternoon, Executive Director, Metric and Commissioners. <clears throat> Uh, next week, uh, we will uh, recognize the second, the two-year anniversary of our adoption of renewable natural gas, which, uh, as was noted, provides both the fuel for our bus fleet as well as roughly half of the heating requirements here at the airport. That 10-year contract has eight years remaining on it, um, and it does rely on a companion local uh, supply of natural gas. Um, 
That local supply contract will expire in the first quarter of 2023 and is required for maintaining operations. Uh, the authorization before you today is for a renewal of that contract for an additional four years. And Stephanie and I are here to address any questions you may have. Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you so much for, um, for being here to answer questions. I'm wondering, for starters, how are you defining natural gas here? For this contract, it is uh, what we might call traditional or fossil-based natural gas. And if we have goals to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions here at the Port of Seattle, and this allocation is to maintain operations, how does this fit into our environmental and sustainability goals? <laughs> I just see faces turn towards me. Um, <laughs> Stephanie Mine, the climate program manager here at SeaTac Airport. Um, so. Uh, it, it's challenging to to walk through all of the contractual arrangements, but this uh, this contract is uh, that we're that we have before you today is enabling the the overall supply of gas, and we do have renewable natural gas also um, as part of our supply agreement. I know that Commissioner Hasegawa, you and uh, Commissioner Mohammed weren't here when we did that original contract, but that is for a 10-year supply of renewable natural gas. That is um, gas that comes from sources like landfills or other um, uh, basically supplies of um, biomass-based gas that are put onto the supply system, so onto the natural gas supply system and delivered to our airport. So renewable natural gas is also being supplied to this airport, um, and we rely on that for 50% of the supply of at our um, central mechanical plant. But we also have reliance on fossil natural gas that is part of today's uh, action. Any further questions on this topic? Commissioner Fellman? Uh, I have a couple of requests for clarification. What you just said isn't technically true. You said the natural gas, the, the renewable gas isn't delivered to the airport, right? It's fungible, right? We're not getting renewable gas at the airport. We're putting it into the national system. And so, but a molecule, Correct. It's a molecule yes, it's, it's, between friends, right? Yes, yes, yes. So um, <laughs> anyway, the, um, the one of the things in the memo that uh, confused me was this question about the buses. Now, I know that we only get RINs for transportation, right? And so I, I thought 100% of the bus was going to be renewable, right? That's correct. The memo kind of, I guess it says the gas used at SEA is to provide heat for the terminals as well as provide fuel for the compressed natural gas bus fleet. And, and anyway, it's, it could be clearer that it's 100%. You were clear in your statement. It's, I think it's, could be clear in the memo. But um, one of the things that, uh, you know, um, we, when we first approved it, there was a question in terms of how much were we going to go to RNG, right? There was, and there, this was this balancing act about what we can, because there is a premium, right? Can you give us a quick idea how much more the RNG costs then? It's almost like double, isn't it? Yes, and again, it, depending on what the fossil supply is, um, it is 
almost close to triple. Um, but de it depends also on what the fossil price is at a given time. So it's double to triple. Um, when it comes to the, the gas that we're paying, the renewable natural gas that's going into our bus fleet is subject to federal um, uh, incentives and will next year be also subject to the state low carbon fuel standard. So um, right now that fuel is costing us essentially zero dollars. Um, right now for our bus fleet. Um, but the heating fuel does, uh, is subject to that premium, which is about three times the cost. I think I'm just checking with Keith uh, on the nod because I'm not always tracking the fossil gas prices, but it's approximately that. But, but and the fleet is a fraction of the demand. I mean, the Correct. fleet is almost yes. unmeasurable compared to the, to the boiler. It's a single digit percent compared to what we use in our heating. Right. System. So, um, one of the things that became, you know, when we were looking at the MSW contract with the, with the King County, with municipal solid waste to hopefully go to jet fuel, was um, the fact that King County's contract for their landfill gas with California was going to be expiring soon. I, it was like this year or next year or something like that. Did we explore? I mean, I always thought that we should, why send that to California when we have plenty of demand here and whether that would be potentially more cost effective than what we're doing in Tennessee. Um, we did explore that uh, early on as we were trying to figure out what role specifically we wanted to play in this space. And that is, was it simply about just procuring those molecules or was it also about what impact we wanted to have in the marketplace? And so when we were examining this, we, we knew that the King County was already injecting that supply into the pipeline from the landfill and the local wastewater treatment plant, which meant that it already had customers and that if we went onto the market and basically just took it out from under them and maybe overbid them in order to receive it, we aren't having a net positive impact on the environment. What we really wanted to do was say the supply that we wanted to put on the market had to be from gas that was just being flared otherwise at a landfill and wasn't being injected into the pipeline. So a big part of why we are getting um, our RNG supply from the Midwest is because that was where at the time that we put this contract into place, we were able to have that impact of putting brand new natural renewable natural gas on the pipeline as opposed to just out-competing our California partners who were already using it. Well, I, I do appreciate that, and that's one of the reasons we had to bring a facility online, one of the reasons it's so expensive. But the, um, well, I was talking about this current contract, that right now, I mean, if we took away some of California's supply, they'd be on the hook to try to, they have obligations to produce more for themselves. So I, I was just thinking about in, in this 50% that we're now paying for $12 million, um, was there a potential of taking some of that gas to add to the RNG portfolio? We continue, uh, Keith and I are in regular conversation about whether there is need for additional RNG supply. The, the amount that we have is fixed in the contract with uh, US Gain for our RNG supply, but uh, Puget Sound Energy has started offering um, RNG for commercial customers, and we are regularly exploring whether there's additional supply that we want to bring on. So it's it's on the table, but at the moment we haven't um, we haven't needed it, so to speak, um, to to maintain our our goals and the commitments that we've made. So we continue to look at it, and in fact, part of the scope of work of that MSW 
um, research that we're doing in partnership with King County is to understand what the role of that RNG production at the landfill is and what the impact might be to that supply or whether that might be changed over to banking liquid fuels. So it is an ongoing part of our conversations right now about what's the highest and best use of that um, renewable natural gas that's coming out of our local landfills. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't lose the renewal opportunity before it went back off to California. I certainly would prefer it went to uh, SAF. All right, last, last thing though. Um, not all natural gas is created equal. And, uh, um, and I think the largest portion of the, um, the methane release has to do with slippage, both at the wellhead and along with transportation. And so I seem to recall that um, with the controversy with the LNG terminal in, in uh, Tacoma, that there was um, some requirement put on PSC to source that LNG, or the natural gas that they compressed, um, from, I think it was British Columbia, that there was some claim that they have less slippage in BC for, I don't know how to verify this or whatever, but there was, so I'm just wondering, are we able to uh, select from, you know, which wellhead, I'm kidding, but, you know, providers that have um, done some things to uh, minimize this ancillary but most significant aspect of the greenhouse gas components of I, I will say, so th there's a long, complicated answer, but I'll try to go to the short one and then maybe um, pass it over to Keith. But in terms of the, the natural gas pipeline system is a much broader system with leakages in different places for different reasons, for different practices. And so when you're procuring that, much like the electricity grid, you can allocate, like we talked about with the sort of the book and claim, the fungibility of, the, of, of all of that. And so it's very challenge, challenging to say, even if you were procuring curing fossil natural gas from British Columbia, um, really the way the, the entire system works in the U.S. is that um, it's very difficult to say that that's where that gas is coming from and that leakage isn't happening. Um, so I've, I think we're challenged to be able to, to dedicate that or be more specific about it. And then the reality for where we are here, and I've, I've talked with Puget Sand Energy about it, is that particularly in winter, where we are, the demand in the entire Washington state region is very high, the amount coming from British Columbia and Alberta is actually is what's dominating the natural gas supply. But we don't, we don't actually have control over that ourselves. Um, contractually, we don't have that ability. That's true, and in our RFP, it's generally considered a, a natural gas commodity. So it's it's purchased on the wholesale market. It would be the same natural gas that that Puget Sound Energy would be out procuring, and generally it comes either from British Columbia or from Wyoming. Okay, so I just didn't know how PSC was able to make some assertion that it was less fracked gas. Um, they have a much larger portfolio, and they can uh, leverage multiple contracts, both from Wyoming and from British Columbia. Okay, and we can't piggyback on that. We're just not a large enough consumer, really, to break up our contracts to that granularity. All right, well, thank you for entertaining all that. Okay, I, I um, had a similar question to, to Fred's. I just, mine was a sort of yes, no, is this new contract making 
fossil natural gas, are we anticipating it's going to be more expensive than it was a couple of years ago when we voted on the RNG? It, it is more expensive. Um, we've seen the prices nearly double since the last contract authorization in 2019. So that delta between the fossil gas and renewable is shrinking? Um, it's shrunk a little bit, but I would argue that RNG probably has a higher value as well if if Wholesale natural gas has gone up. The renewable natural gas. But has we have gone up. a fixed contract over ten years, correct? Um, we have a fixed contract, but there is there is a linkage with the market price. Okay. Uh, as so, as that, the context has changed, and also as the um, legal framework uh, in Washington State, in particular, has changed, where there are new opportunities for credits. I would hope that you all would come to us and say. Now is a moment to expand the, the percentage that we're purchasing of RNG versus fossil if that is the lowest hanging fruit in terms of addressing our GHG output. And, and Stephanie, I've always been impressed by your ability to remember the highest order value. So you know, in the case of SAF, reminding us that maybe the, the best way to get reductions of GHG at the airport is from the APU rather than you know the, the using SAF in flight. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to continue to, to uh, think m about the highest order value and, and uh, approach us when it's appropriate to say maybe we need to change tack here uh, to hit that strategic goal. So appreciate it. Any further questions? I knew it. Go ahead, Fred. <laughs> Actually, I was like sort of a legislative question. So my understanding is that we can get um, like the uh, state credits for going to renewables for heating a building, but that the the RINs at the federal level, you can't, right? Isn't there, um, isn't that only for transportation fuels? Correct, the RINs are for transportation end uses only. Uh, so, there are no federal um, incentives for heating fuel. So why don't we change that? <laughs> um, we have been watching that space. I think there is a reluctance um, at the federal level um, just because of the, the order of expense and ease is to look at the um, transportation fuel and the electricity grid, and the natural gas grid is much harder to decarbonize, um, so we don't see, see that as much at the federal level. There are states that are working on this, so we're, we have worked with um, the Renewable Thermal Collaborative and, and other um, entities on where where it makes sense and when to um, advocate for certain things in federal policy, but we are seeing a, a lot more movement, I would say, at the, the state and the West Coast level for these, these kind of um, activities, so it, it could be that we're relying more on, on state legislation in the near term. Great, and when we think about the highest and best use, where GHG is the dominant, but human health exposure and things like this are where the people are, as well as what that's being emitted for the climate. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. Uh, do I have a motion and a second for this item? So moved. I'll second. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For the vote, beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. And the motion passes. We are now moving to item 11, presentations and staff reports. Just a reminder that item 11A has been reordered to the end of the agenda. Clerk Hart, can you please read the first item into the record and then Executive Director Metric, I'll turn it over to you. 
Yes, this is agenda item 11B, the 2023 Central Services Preliminary Budget and Portwide Roll-Up Briefing. Commissioners, good afternoon. Today we begin the next phase of development of our 2023 port budget, the presentation of a division budget proposals. The first up today is a presentation on the proposed Central Services budget. As you, hear in more as, you, as you hear in more detail later, central services include many of the critical port-wide support functions such as the commission, human resources, legal, and engineering. These and other functions provide vital services to the operating divisions. Before we get into the numbers, uh, I, I wanna give you a preview of my, of my related strategy and approaches and messages. The budget represents some of the largest and most critical investments in the port's wor workforce in recent history. We are at this place because of over the last three years, necessary spending and hiring was constrained by COVID. This severely strained the capacity of the organization. We are emerging from the worst effects of the pandemic, although the disease will still be with us for some time. The investments I'm going to propose are essential, prudent, and within our financial means. They will provide our organization employees the resources necessary to deliver on our missions to the community. As we all know, the budget is more than just dollars in and out. It's an expression of our values and with the Commission's leadership, our commitment to serve the community as well. It is the means by which we build the capital infrastructure to support regional economic vitality, to protect and enhance the environment, and integrate the principles of equity, diversity, and inclusion in all that we do. So I'm going to move to the slideshow. And I'm presenting with me also here today is going to be uh, um, it's going to be uh, uh, Michael Tong, Director of Corporate Budget and Finance and Budget, Dan Thomas, Chief Financial Officer of Finance and Budget, and uh, Crystal Sadler, Director of ICT Technology Delivery. So I'm going to start off here. So if we can get the slide two, please. Let me begin with an overview of today's presentation. We'll discuss the timeline for budget discussions along with our key budget strategies and drivers that shape our spending plans. Later, we'll cover the preliminary port-wide operating budget. Next, we'll discuss our baseline budget, how that is arrived at, and then we'll show you, show you the new budget requests for next year. With that background, we'll show you our recommended central services operating budget for 2023. We'll also talk about our proposed workforce plan for next year as well, as well as a summary of our community programs, the five-year capital investment program for central services, and a summary of our actions to consider equity in budgeting. Finally, we'll talk about the budget discussions to come in the coming weeks. Next slide, please. Now looking at the schedule, a tremendous amount of work uh, throughout the organization has brought us to this point in the process today. In the spring and summer, the divisions reviewed their priorities and progress to date to develop their business plans and capital improvement program uh, updates for the coming year and years. We have incorporated the valuable comments provided by the Commission during our budget retreats over the summer to help develop and refine our priorities for next year. Over the past several weeks, our leadership team has painstakingly reviewed division budget proposals, and we now bring those recommendations to you. It's one thing to talk about this is that this, this is, uh, will cover not just new requests, but in their, each of the divisions, as they looked at those, um, they reviewed all their budgets 
Republicans uh, using an approach of saying, well, not just accepting what budgets they had in the past, but reviewing each one of those to make sure they still uh, were required. And uh, in now, next slide, please. Slide four. Here you'll see how we use the vision and goals of the Commission approved Century Agenda to shape our short, medium, and long-term objectives and targets. Our strategic planning effort is based on regular analysis of our strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats from which we develop our objectives and key performance indicators. A high summary, a high level summary of the port wide SWAT, which we discussed earlier this year, is, is included in the appendix. Uh, these in turn, this analysis in turn drives our annual budget planning uh, process and budget efforts. What you'll see today in the coming weeks are our best recommendations for balancing the port's many interests and priorities, those are open-ended, within our financial capabilities and resources. And we seek to achieve the best results and outcomes for the organization and the community, balancing uncertainty that we have ahead of us. Next slide, please. Depicted in a different way, we can see how our mission and values expressed through the Century Agenda here on the, here on the right drives my executive director priorities and how our business planning and budgeting efforts vertically align in the organization. So next slide, please. So here's some of the highlights of the key drivers and considerations uh, for this year's budget. They, may, they should look familiar to you. We've discussed these in, as we've gone throughout the year, but it's good to say to return to these as touchstones. It's no surprise that the economic outlook is very uncertain. Even in the last couple of days, we've looked at worldwide, you're looking at uh, um, uh, economies that impact the, the global, uh, the global economy is impacted by actions taking place, um, the war in the Ukraine and other factors as well. Uh, inflation has really caused a lot of uncertainty in the markets and in economies worldwide. It's, it's no surprise the outlook is very uncertain. Inflation remains very high and could persist well into 2023 and beyond. That has a direct impact on the material and labor cost of all our projects, notably our airport infrastructure and maritime capital projects with the Port of Seattle and the Seaport Alliance. The rate of capital inflation, as we've heard before, is greater than other costs. Inflation has also taken a huge toll on the personal finances of our port employees, of course, uh, which we mean to address in the budget we are proposing. Uh, there's some good news. We anticipate a rebound in some of our key business activities, resulting in stronger business revenues that will help us gain some of the ground we lost during the pandemic. As, an, as noted in, at the outset, my top priority for the coming year is in investing in our workforce, truly our most important asset. Our success depends on a strong, motivated, and productive workforce here at the port. Investing in the workforce has many components. The loss of staff in recent years has been significant, putting remaining employees under tremendous stress. Thus, we must ensure we are staffed adequately to carry out our work across the port, which has never stopped growing despite the pandemic. At the same time, retaining employees, recruiting, and hiring for, for the port all represent a priority and a growing challenge. Some of this referred to uh, the great retirement in the last few years. Uh, whatever it is, this is hitting us hard, just as it is for many employers in the region. As we compete 
for uh, a real, uh, to fill vacancies from a from the same workforce. We have a very capable human resources talent development team, but getting up to the staffing levels we need will take some time, and it's not going to be addressed overnight. And of course, we must look to address the impact of the loss of our employees' personal buying power due to inflation. For 2023, we are proposing an explicit cost of living increase, or COLA, to restore some of that lost buying power. This will be in addition to annual uh, pay-for-performance increases. As with many organizations, we're coming to grips with the important issues of equity and diversity and compensation, hiring and promotion and that we've heard from our employees about these issues and we'll continue to work on these as well. We will have a clear picture about the impacts of, on our organization in the coming months and we are making good on a commitment we have expressed to support the workforce. We will bring more resources to increasing priorities of workforce development, community assistance and environmental sustainability as well. In strategies related to these, we propose a modest expansion in the use of the property tax levy to support these regional priorities, and we'll talk about that. We'll also continue to work on improving the resiliency of our organization and our infrastructure as well. Uh, before we dig in and look a little closer at the numbers, I want to remind you of the promises I made back at our retreat in June. This is a promise that, uh, that is unchanged over the years, a commitment to sound financial management, faithful stewardship of public money, excellence in project delivery and transparency for the public in what we do and our reasoning for, for making those decisions. I'll now turn it over to Dan Thomas, Chief Financial Officer, Michael Tong, our Budget Director. Dan, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, Steve. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Can we move to the next slide, please? Uh, we wanted to start with just a snapshot of the uh, 2023 port-wide budget summary. You know, typically we, we kind of build from the bottom up. We each do uh, we do each of the division presentations first, and then the commission doesn't really see the total port picture until the very end of the process. So we wanted to give you a bit of a snapshot uh, at this point to set set context. It is a bit of a work of progress. Uh, budgets are still being refined. They're in pretty good shape right now. Uh, but there might be uh, a few changes with uh, the operating divisions in particular before they present to you in uh, October. But we just, just did, again, wanted to give you just a, a preview of what the total port budget is currently looking uh, like. Um, as Steve mentioned, we, uh, we're looking at strong growth in operating revenues. Uh, operating revenues are projected to be up uh, about $193 million next year, or 25% over the 2022 budget. And if we take out the aeronautical revenues at the airport, which uh, you know are based on cost recovery, all other port-wide operating revenues are actually up uh, nearly $83 million, or 22% which is really, really strong revenue growth. We haven't seen that kind of revenue growth, you know, over the past several years through the, through the pandemic. Uh, in particular, we're seeing strong growth at the airport in areas like uh, airport public parking, uh, some of the ground transportation um, uh, activities, as well as dining and retail at the airport, also seeing some strong growth. And of course, we're seeing a pretty robust recovery uh, in the maritime cruise business, and so seeing pretty significant e increase in revenues uh, there. Uh, 
the, the bullet here about the Northwest Seaport Alliance, at the time we put this presentation together, we did not yet have the Northwest Seaport Alliance budget. Uh, we did get a preview of that yesterday. It looks like the Northwest Seaport Alliance distributable revenue will be up about a million dollars in total year over year into 2023. Uh, it's just a modest increase, so the port's share would be about half of that or $500,000. Overall operating expenses uh, projected to be up about $74 million, or a little under 15% uh, from the 2022 budget. And the bottom line is net operating income before depreciation will be up about $119 million, or a little over 44% from our 22 uh, budget. Next slide, please. So again, here's a table that just summarizes the port-wide uh, uh, P&L, if you will, profit and loss statement. Um, as uh, mentioned, our total budgeted revenues of $960 million um, are up significantly. And they also, uh, it's not shown here, but they actually exceed our 2019 actual revenues, which back in 2019 were $764 million. So uh, we can see significant inc uh, recovery um, since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, just again, a couple of things to note, again, on the very top line, aeronautical revenues, as we said, they're based on cost recovery, uh, costs that get uh, operating and capital costs that included in the airline rate base. Um, uh, a large portion of the increase to the fact that the COVID relief grants that the airport has been receiving over the past several years will be phasing out in 2023. Uh, so that's been a pretty significant uh, effect on lowering their costs, particularly in uh, debt service costs that they were applied to, as well as O&M costs. So with those phasing out, that is one of the largest drivers of the increase in aeronautical revenues. Um, I just want to call out the about midway down in the revenue line is called joint venture. That is where we uh, include the Northwest Seaport Alliance distributable revenue. Uh, that's in that category. And we also book some expenses that we incur that are related to the Alliance, but they are not uh, allocated to the Alliance. Good example would be uh, maintenance expenses associated with the cranes at T46 that we own. We incur those expenses, but do not allocate them to the Dan, I think we lost you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Some. We can hear you, but you can stopped. You, you stopped for about uh, thirty seconds there. Okay. Um, maybe I'll back up a little bit. I was, I was talking about aeronautical revenues, and the biggest increase there, which are based on cost recovery, was due to the fact that the federal relief grants have been. Uh, that we've been uh, uh, receiving over the past several years will be phasing out. Um, so that will just by itself uh, lead to an increase in aeronautical revenues. Um, and then I was talking about the joint venture, which uh, you'll see about midway down in the revenue uh, uh, table. 
the joint venture essentially includes the Northwest Seaport Alliance distributable revenues. We also booked to that uh, category some of the expenses that the Port of Seattle incurs that are related to the alliance but are not allocated to the alliance. And a good example of that would be the um, maintenance costs associated with the T-46 cranes that the Port of Seattle owns. And I also wanted just, just to remind you too that when we book the uh, alliance distributable revenue, that is a number that is that incorporates revenues less all expenses, including depreciation. So it's a bit of an anomaly to include in operating revenues. That is how it's, we're required to do it under accounting rules. And over time, as the alliance makes more investments, depreciation will um, uh, take a larger and larger chunk out of that, even though depreciation is a non-cash item. Uh, expenses we talked about, total expenses of about $573 million, <clears throat> about a little under 15% increase over 2022. And I did want to call out, you see that uh, line item near the bottom in the 2020 and 2021 columns uh, called the uh, net, the DRS pension credit. And really what that reflects is the fact that the Department of Retirement Systems uh, a statewide department. Every year they do an actuarial calculation uh, where they determine what the Port of Seattle's share is of the overall PERS and left pension expenses. Um, when we budget, all we budget is our actual contributions, which are cash. But then again, at year end, DRS does a calculation of the aquarial, uh, act, uh, the actuarial version of that. So we have to do an adjustment at year end to true that up. And uh, it's a non-cash adjustment, but nonetheless, we have to book that. And as you can see that um, uh, it actually has been pretty significant, particularly in 2021 as a result of the strong stock market performance and the uh, outperformance in the pension uh, asset side. So what we do in these graphs that are these tables is we break it out separately because including it in our expenses, we tends to distort the, our true uh, performance. So we break that out um, separately. Next slide, please. So then moving into central services, uh, preliminary 2023 budget, as uh, Steve mentioned, central services provides a number of essential services uh, to both the port and to the Seaport Alliance through service agreements. These services are vital into the operations of the, uh, the divisions uh, and uh, reflect shared services. Uh, there's about 20 departments that are included in central services. Uh, there is a, a full detailed listing of all those departments as well as their budgets uh, in the appendix. And then I would note that the central services uh, costs are in effect allocated out each to, the, each, to each of the operating divisions and in some cases are funded by the tax levy. Next slide, please. So just wanted to give you a little bit of an outline of our process as, as we build to the 2023 budget. So we, what we talk about is developing a baseline budget, uh, which, which is the starting point. And, and we have to do some adjustments to get to that baseline budget. 
So the starting point is our 2022 approved budget that the commission approved last fall. Uh, but then we have to make some adjustments. So uh, well, one of the things we do is we look at items that were considered one-time items that were budgeted this year. They're not recurring, so we don't want them to be built into the future budgets. So we remove uh, those one-time items out of the budgets. We go through a, a detailed analysis of each department. And then we also have to adjust for uh, mid-year approvals that occurred this year. These are largely uh, staff positions that uh, Steve, under his executive uh, director authority, um, approved for the year, mid-year. Um, so I think there's about 14 of those that were added this year. But since they got added mid-year, they were only partial year costs. So we've got to add those back in for next year. Uh, and uh, true up to a full, full year salary and benefits for those positions. We also look at adjusting for what uh, we would call known and I would say non-discretionary contractual and other increases, things that we just uh, are experiencing increased costs that we adjust for. Many of these are in the IT department, uh, things like software maintenance agreement, hardware agreements, um, so we adjust upwards for those. I think property insurance is another uh, big one. And then finally, we adjust for the payroll increases. So we take the existing uh, staff and then the new staff added as the part of the one-year uh, one-time items, or the, I'm sorry, the mid-year approvals. And then we put in a full-year uh, uh, salary and benefit uh, costs for the 2023 budget. So we adjust those for 2023 as well. Next slide. This is just more of a graphical uh, depiction of this, which I think really helps better to understand how we build up from the current year budget to the adjusted baseline. So again, the starting point in this, this sort of waterfall graphs, I think are pretty effective. We start uh, with the 2022 Central Services O&M budget of 142 million. And then again, for these adjustments I mentioned, uh, green means reductions, red means additions. So you can see we pulled out the one-time items I talked about. We added in the mid-year approvals, the costs of those, again, largely um, the 14 additional staff that were added this year add in those known and non-discretionary contractual increases. And then we add in what we call other adjustments. Uh, this looks like a big number, $6.3 million. Most of that uh, consists of um, engineering uh, consultants that they brought on board, uh, what they call on-site consultants as the capital program continues to grow. Uh, they needed to bring on consultants this year to continue to help them manage that program. Uh, but then we back out, a large portion of that goes to capital, so that $4.5 million then just below that reduces that amount uh, to reflect the portions that are going to capital. So that gets us to the um, uh, baseline uh, budget uh, before additions. And then again, we have to look at adding in the baseline payroll increase, which as you can see is the largest single increase as we look at uh, adjusting for, for next year. Uh, and then again, I'll get into some of the details and assumptions behind that, but as you can see, that's a little over $12 million uh, as we uh, uh, put in the assumptions on payroll increases for existing and, and staff um, 
who were um, added mid-year. And then we get into new, the, the new budget requests that got approved, as you can see, relatively modest amounts. We broke, broke that out into payroll and to non-payroll, uh, about $2.8 million for each of those items that were added. So adding this all up gets us to our 2023 proposed budget of $162 million um, for the coming year. Next slide, please, please. So then just to tick through some of the uh, drivers for the increases in the baseline budget, I have kind of a, uh, touched on some of these, but as Steve talked about his priority for investment in the workforce, uh, a large component is uh, an assumption of a 6% COLA and a 3% average pay for performance increase for uh, non-represented staff. Again, that's a, a, one of our largest budget drivers. Uh, it's again, designed to continue to uh, retain uh, our critical staff. And then also as part of investing in employees, we did um, fully restore our travel and training budgets uh, back to pre-COVID levels, so fully investing now in training and development, which we feel are very, very important. Um, other payroll increases, uh, again, for the mid-year additions for the um, 2022 staff, we have to annualize their payroll for next year. Um, and also, we also have to annualize payroll for new positions that were added this year as part of last year's budget, but they were only um, budgeted for part, of, part of year. So we, we threw all those up to get to a, a full year payroll for those additions. And then again, as I mentioned, we had contractual increases that we factor in. Property insurance is a big one. A lot of them are ICT software license and maintenance agreements and a few other contractual increases um, that we incorporate. Next slide, please. Uh, this is just a table that really walks through. I won't really go into detail, but this really just, it's sort of that waterfall um, graphic that we just show in tabular form, just starts with the 2022 budget and then adds in these various adjustments, including mid-year approvals, contractual increases, and then pay increases. So I won't, I won't uh, go into this in any, any detail. So next slide, please. So then looking at the new budget requests that we reviewed for the 2023 budget, uh, as you can see, uh, we had a total of 83 requests, quite a few out of those we approved 49. Um, third line down at the operating and maintenance expense amount of that was about 10.3 million requested of which we approved about 5.6 million. You can see it's broken down between payroll and non-payroll. And then out of 50.1 uh, new FTEs requested, we approved 28.1. And I did want to note that out of that 28.1, uh, 5.1 of those are uh, reflect college interns that are budgeted in HR. And uh, that translates actually into about 13 additional college intern positions. Um, for the coming year, because we feel there's a, a lot of lot of demand. 
And then uh, on the FTEs, out of 50 point, uh, out of the 61.1 requested, 28 approved. Some of those were frozen FTEs, and I just I did want to note that back in 2020, uh, we had added a, a large number of new FTEs as part of that budget. Uh, and as we got into the pandemic, we had vacant FTEs. We froze a lot of FTEs over the past several years, and. Uh, um, uh, in some cases, departments were still able to get them filled going through a special process, but for the most part, many of them remained frozen. We have uh, gradually added some of these over the past several years as departments came forward and justified the need. Uh, and as part of this uh, coming year budget, uh, we unfroze um, two, but left us with about seven FTEs remaining frozen in central services. And at this point, given that it's been this many years, we plan to um, eliminate all those remaining frozen FTEs. If, uh, Commissioner, if I can just make a, Dan, on this, if I can just make a comment that I just wanted to kind of point out is that there's, when we reviewed all these requested positions and resources that were asked, there wasn't a lot of, you know, uh, extraneous or extra nice to haves. These were serious proposals that probably, if I presented those to you, go, oh, that's a great idea too. But we couldn't. We really yeah. have to uh, practice discipline in this and walking through and doing, you know, balancing the needs of what we want to accomplish with, with, uh, uh, within our resources. So I just wanted to point that out. You know, that it's not something that people are just saying, oh, this is a blank slate. I can request anything. It was really oriented towards those outcomes in in resources uh, that they thought they needed to accomplish that and that's what we kind of balance here and that's what this shows just shows is that uh, you know we sharpened our pencil as we looked at this request thanks Dan sorry yeah you're right and those were all very well justified FTEs the needs were very well justified but as you know we had to uh, really cut back on resources to get through the uh, past couple of years okay next slide so then uh, moving into the uh, new budget items that have been approved, um, this is a summary of the new budget additions. We've broken them out by categories, as you can see on the left, and then we'll tick through this. And these include both new FTEs as well as some non-payroll uh, costs. So I will highlight a number of these, but I want to note as well that uh, there's full details on all of the new additions, both payroll and non-payroll, that are included in the uh, appendix at the end of the presentation if you want more information. Um, so, so beginning just on the top, uh, top category, century agenda priorities, just wanted to you know, kind of highlight some of these. Obviously, you're going to be giving a presentation later today on the Seattle Aquarium. The Commission approved a, a five-year agreement uh, with the Seattle Aquarium. Uh, which would contemplate the port funding $5 million over five years. So 2023 would, will reflect our first million dollar contribution to that uh, exhibit development. So that's uh, a big new one. And then looking at some areas like workforce development, uh, new staff are being added. Uh, one is a senior manager of uh, workforce development as well as a workforce development contract administrator. They're seeing uh, a, a lot of work related to uh, developing, procuring, and managing contracts, invoicing, so uh, resources being added there. 
uh, adding a new uh, planner coordinator uh, for clean energy technology research that provides coordination and strategy for the uh, whole port wide for the I think that's important. That's across programs, both within maritime and uh, environment right. sustainability. That would be a, a centralized resource to uh, provide that across the organization. Um, uh, senior admir uh, environmental justice administrators seen as a very important uh, position funded in OEDI. They will also act as a kind of a strategic resource and coordinator across the organization to help advance our environmental justice uh, initiatives. Um, a couple of small programs, small investments into this. Again, this is an OEDI for uh, bus drivers. Uh, the airport is suffering from a shortage of uh, bus drivers, so uh, potential outreach and um, uh, opportunities to consider even uh, helping train uh, drivers get their commercial driver's licenses that uh, develop a pipeline of drivers for the airport as well as uh, some some spending some contracted spending to uh, facilitate taxi drivers in possibly uh, uh, being able to evaluate and, and look for uh, other kinds of career opportunities in, in, in job development uh, strategies outside of the taxi driver industry. And then again, some resources uh, added in um, the environmental or the uh, external relations department uh, focused on continuing to expand and grow our Duwamish Valley equity program. So more, more dollars uh, associated with that. Um, down in safety securities quickly, uh, some a number of uh, initiatives uh, added to the police budget. Uh, probably the biggest actually one there is just the increase in the King County jail cost. That's about $600,000. That's a big driver of that budget. But they're also including funding for uh, some additional equity, diversity inclusion training, and also um, some dollars focused on recruitment. As I'm sure you well know, the uh, police department is uh, down pretty significantly in staffing right now. They're having challenges recruiting. So they're looking at uh, funding some additional things like job fairs, uh, talent recruitment, travel, so job fairs. Um, so hopefully that will help uh, them as they need to build up some of their um, uh, resource gaps in the coming year. And then the, the bottom ones here are kind of in the safety and security also some uh, outcomes of our resiliency initiative that was done in 2021. So some, some uh, outside contracted funding for information security on cyber defense, as well as our IC department in uh, infrastructure resiliency. Uh, and then also some funding to, to address some resiliency issues, coordinating with the uh, city and others along the Seattle waterfront to ensure we're addressing issues related to, you know, sea level rise, stormwater, um, those kinds of um, initiatives. Next slide, please. So moving into the uh, regional economic priorities and engagement, one uh, new FT, I know the commission had, uh, had requested uh, us to take a look at this, but there will be a, a, a new senior manager of tribal relations that will be housed in external relations and provide a resource to uh, deepen our engagement, both government to government and community to community on uh, tribal affairs. 
Um, some uh, outside contracted services devoted to regional transportation uh, strategies, addressing uh, our partnerships with other agencies, looking at decarbonization, safety, and other elements of the surface transportation system. Uh, also some, some services looking at uh, enhancing our engagement coordination with our maritime stakeholders, looking at new business opportunities, um, also, external relations has some fun funding for uh, new facilitation services to uh, host public meetings with many of our impacted communities uh, by air, uh, port operations. And then the last one in this category being, as you know, with a lot of capital investments planned at Fisherman's Terminal um, and other, other seaport projects, uh, some additional in investment in public engagement. Uh, to help folks understand what's what's going on around there. And then finally, the uh, last category is really supporting just internal organizational needs. So for a variety of resources, uh, new FTEs in accounting, port construction services, central procurement and engineering, all focused on supporting the port's growing capital program. And then also some FTEs and human resources supporting, most importantly, our growing hiring needs, adding some talent acquisition resources, uh, additional staff um, position in health and safety focused on fall protection, and then also some new FTEs, both in HR and ICT, supporting uh, their technology systems and being able to better utilize those. Next slide, please. So, Commissioner, President, uh, hold on, hold on one second. Oh, Dan, I was just sure. going to say here, uh, I know that's 17 slides in. Did you did you want to see? We're, we're glad to keep going, in, but I just want to be, you know. Uh, I do want to be conscientious about time. We have yeah. about 15 yeah. more minutes slated for okay. this item. So, yep. uh, okay. however you want to use it, I do want to provide time for commissioners to ask questions and provide comments, too. Okay, great. Thanks. So Steve mentioned earlier, you know, some of our thinking about possibly expanding some of the uses in a modest way of tax levy funding. This slide breaks out, so the, the top section here just uh, notes that of the new items that we've added for this year, we're proposing that uh, some of them be funded with the tax levy. It seems to be appropriate since they're community-facing and, and really supporting you know, many of our community initiatives. So things like the Seattle Aquarium Partnership, uh, some of these positions focused on environmental justice and workforce development, um, and the, the SeaTac bus drivers and taxi drivers programs, um, the expansion of the Duwamish Valley Community Equity Program. And then, and then the bottom section here are some changes that we're recommending for uh, items that previously were not funded with the levy. So in workforce development, traditionally we funded the external facing dollars, the contracted dollars, the money that's going to the community. We use tax levy funding for that. But we're proposing to, in addition to that, actually uh, fund the staff costs related to that because those staff members are pretty much 100% de dedicated to um, managing those programs. And it it's, doesn't seem to really um, be fair to allocate those costs to the divisions because it's not supporting the divisions in the same way. So uh, for workforce development, we we're proposed to uh, fund their department staff costs. And then lastly, the high school intern program, 
has not traditionally been funded with the tax levy, but we're proposing to fund the actual intern salaries with the tax levy, not not the staff and internal staff that manage that program, but the interns themselves. We would propose to fund with the tax levy. Next slide. So I'm going to turn it over to Michael Tong now to uh, walk through some additional slides on the overall budget highlights and some of the, the new additions. Thank you, Dan. Good afternoon, commissioners and uh, except Director Metric. Uh, I'll try to walk through the slides uh, very quickly uh, in the interest of time. So Dan mentioned about the uh, baseline budget and the new budget items. So here's uh, the highlights for the 2023 proposed budget. Uh, op total operating expenses, 162.8 million, 21 million or 14.8% uh, higher than uh, the 2022 budget. And then you can see the um, payroll and the non-payroll side. Uh, I won't go into detail, most of those then uh, um, already covered that expense on the payroll side. Uh, on the long payroll side, again, you know, some of the increase include uh, high consulting costs, um, insurance expense, workers' come, and uh, travel and other employee uh, expenses uh, as part of the, uh, you know, uh, invest in the employee de development. Um, uh, Steve Cover restore our um, training uh, budget back to the 2020, uh, uh, 2020, uh, 2020 budget level, that's uh, the per COVID um, budget uh, level. And the other new initiative and program that just mentioned a little bit earlier, including the big ones, the Seattle Aquarium that you'll hear later, as well as some other uh, increases uh, that we just want for. Next slide, please. Um, so here again is the uh, budget summary table that so both the payroll and non-payroll um, budget uh, before and after charge to capital. Uh, we also include before and after the uh, DRS pension credit uh, in the 2020 and 2021 actual so that you can uh, see an apple-to-apple -apple comparison. So that's a loss of number. I won't go over that, but basically want to draw your attention to the last uh, column uh, on the right-hand side. Uh, again, you know, the 21 million and the 14.8% increase. Next slide, please. Um, here is a proposed FT summary for 2023. Uh, we have 885.8 um, FTE in the 2022 uh, approved budget. And then they mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, we added 14 uh, mid-year approval. That brings us to uh, 900 FTE uh, for central services in the baseline budget. And then we eliminated the 10 position, uh, FTE, including seven uh, frozen positions that they mentioned a little bit earlier. And we're proposing 28.1 uh, new FTE. So that brings us a net increase of uh, 18 FTEs. Uh, so all in all, we are proposing a total of 917.8 FTE for 2023. Um, you can find a uh, full list of all the proposed new FTEs and all the limited uh, frozen position in the appendix, so I won't go into detail here. Um, next slide, please. Uh, this is a summary of all the uh, 2023 community programs. Uh, again, there's a loss of number. Uh, I would like to just highlight uh, just a few number uh, for you. Uh, if I might, I would like to direct your attention to the last row and would like to point out that we are seeing an overall increase in, uh, for the community program uh, in the past few years 
uh, from 14 million in 2021 budget to 16.6 uh, uh, 16 .6 million uh, in the 2022 budget to uh, 19 million in the 2023 proposed budget, uh, which represent a 2.5 million or 13% um, increase uh, from the 2022 budget. Um, I, uh, it's also worth to point out that over tw uh, 12 million or 64% uh, of the 19 million uh, will be funded by tax levy. Uh, these are programs that really benefit the local, many local communities uh, and the entirely uh, region as well as the state. So it's really appropriate to use the tax levy to fund those programs. Um, next but, slide, please. Oh. Yeah, before we move on to the next slide, Michael, I just wanted to say two commissioners, uh, you probably are thinking uh, there were some uh, commissioner budget priorities in here and there was 32 of those and we owe you back kind of rather than trying to picking them out from this, a complete list of those and how they're accounted for in here and we can provide that separately um, that rather than as part of this briefing and we'll be glad to give that additional information to you that tracks those specifically of where they are. You can see that there, there were 20, 32 again, and there's a lot, but you can see a lot of those reflected in here already. So, but, so you don't have to hunt for them. We will give that to you and give you that exact uh, readout of those. Next, uh, uh, then we'll go over the uncertainty and budget visas. Yeah, as we put together our budget, just recognizing that some of these tie a little bit back to the uh, um, budget drivers and considerations that Steve mentioned. But, but clearly, <laughs> we still have significant economic uncertainty. If anybody has guessed that we're going to have a recession next year, clearly inflation continues to um, run at pretty high levels with um, only minor reductions lately. Um, you know, we do recognize that uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act, we should be receiving, hopefully over time, some additional federal grant revenues. We just don't have enough information at this point um, how much or when uh, uh, we might get out of that act. Um, we are optimistic there'll be something, but um, whether and to what extent that affects our 2023 budget, we just don't know at this time. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you're aware, you may be aware that uh, HR is conducting a comprehensive um, compensation study right now from a variety of perspectives. Uh, one of the big ones they're turning their attention to now is, uh, is pay equity, really looking at across the organization with the goal to ensure that people are being paid similarly for similar work. Similar work. Um, and some of their uh, preliminary work on that, I think they've come to the conclusion that there are gaps where, where people are doing similar work and are not being paid similarly. So as they uh, complete that work, there will likely be the need to undertake a number of pay equity adjustments um, to, to true that up and, and get folks more um, similarly paid. Uh, so it's a risk in the sense that we just don't know how much that might be or what the timing is going to be. Some of that may hit next year, some of it may move out into the following year, but you know, we just wanted to be clear, we're committed to making those adjustments, um, but we just have not formally budgeted them right now because we just don't know enough about the timing uh, or amounts of those. But when and if they happen, we will be sure to uh, factor them into our, into our budget and make other adjustments necessary to incorporate those. 
And then as always, as you know, we have a lot of initiatives uh, and plans and programs underway across the board and they're growing. So always the challenge is our ability to execute on them uh, with the resources that we have. That's why to some extent we're adding resources in a number of key areas, but still um, uh, have some challenges just executing on a lot of those base programs. And then I think Steve also mentioned earlier just our ability to hire uh, hire staff. Uh, many of our recruitments um, have taken a long time, um, uh, so we're not only trying to retain retain existing staff but hire new staff. We did assume a five percent vacancy rate in the budget, so uh, that gives us. Um, some uh, hopefully cushion for um, what we might expect, but that's a, that's obviously a number that could be up or down. So it's it's hard to get that one exactly right. Um, but we've assumed five percent for now. Next next slide. I think I'm going to turn it back to Michael to give you some give you some highlights of our equity and budgeting work this past cycle. So last year was the first year that we incorporate the uh, equity uh, lens into the budgeting process uh, to further um, normalize and um, operationalize uh, EDI in our daily work. Um, there's a budget team, you know, that uh, from a number of departments that work uh, for the past few months um, to um, uh, further the some of the uh, guideline, budget uh, guideline for the equities, uh, the toolkits, the trainings, and uh, and here's uh, a summary of what we got as part of the budget process. And um, so uh, in the next few slides, you will see a summary of those response that we got from the central services departments, and you will see a similar summary from uh, each division when they present the budget uh, in about two weeks. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, yeah. Uh, so the first question that we asked was um, to department is to describe how they apply EDI principle in planning their 2023 strategies uh, and initiatives. Uh, the response that we received include continuing to look for opportunity for uh, WUMBI and uh, DBE contracting and eliminate uh, barriers. And they're actively applying an equity lens when hiring and some other activities. Uh, advancing regional workforce development in the port-related industry to provide equitable access to uh, equality career, uh, quality careers. And then also another department also asked staff uh, for inputs in the EDI and other training and development opportunities. Uh, next slide, please. And the second question uh, we asked is whether there are specific areas or programs uh, that would advance equity considerations. Well, not every central uh, service departments have specific uh, program that uh, funding, uh, that need funding to advance equity. Uh, many are actively uh, looking for new and more uh, contract uh, with Wumbi firms. Uh, there are also some departments that have specific programs to advance equity considerations, such as more support for the Sub-King County Fund, environmental and economic uh, recovery grants. Increasing support for environmental engagement and the Wamish River Community Equity Program, and uh, as well as supporting the port's growing engagement with uh, tribal uh, governments and uh, in, in, in uh, gender uh, communities. So, um, as you saw a little bit earlier, we did add some budget uh, funding to those as well. Uh, next slide, please. 
the third question we asked is what step department had taken to ensure that their 2023 strategies, um, objective, and, and initiative uh, do not cause disproportionate harm uh, to any groups in our community or perpetuate uh, existing inequality. Um, so overall, many, uh, many of the community programs supported by central services are uh, addressing equity issue. Uh, other steps are taking include strengthen, uh, strengthening relations and partnership with community liaison in near poor communities, uh, making, community, um, making communication available and accessible by lowering um, technology barriers and some overall barriers as well as we add. Uh, and also making the pop programs and opportunity more inclusive. Um, next slide, please. Um, the fourth question uh, we asked is whether uh, is what department's engagement with staff uh, in their team told them about the factor that uh, advanced equity in the 2023 strategy objective and initiatives. So some of the response include uh, adequate, uh, equitable engagement practices require relations building, uh, involvement of those most uh, impacted in the preparing uh, meeting uh, discussion, and also a, uh, additional time um, to engage stakeholder in uh, ways most meaningful to them. Uh, some department also point out that uh, it is very important to have the full leadership engagement and leading by example. Uh, a number of also uh, a number of central service department also mentioned that their staff have been involved uh, in shaping their uh, budget, uh, so they are uh, more involved in overall in the budget process this year. Next slide, please. So last question uh, we asked is, uh, is that for department interacting with com uh, the community, we asked them to describe how they have engaged with the overburdened communities and vulnerable population in their planning process. Um, so overall, whilst not every central uh, service department, as you know, is uh, inter interfacing with the community, those two are often uh, managing the interaction on an ongoing basis. Uh, some of uh, them also mentioned that they are prioritizing community input into the port, um, engagement process by adjusting bureaucratic barrier and creating and implementing workforce development program and investment based on two uh, main principles here. Uh, one is to support in-demand job in port-related sector. Uh, the second is to uh, ensure that women and BIPOC uh, community are fully represented in the outcome of our programs. So that's a quick uh, recap of the equity and budgeting uh, step uh, st uh, still reviewing uh, all the response. Um, and you will certainly hear more from, uh, uh, from both the uh, senior director for OEDI later this year so, as well. So with that, let me turn it over to Krista um, to talk about the C uh, CIP uh, for essential services. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Krista Sadler, Information and Communication uh, Technology. I have the pleasure of talking about our, our capital improvement plan because the majority of this is IT. So uh, next slide, please. And I will, this is just a summary of what I'll talk about in the next slide. So go ahead and next slide. Um, okay, um, actually one back, sorry. Okay, these are just pending ones. We have been working on them for a while, uh, and you have seen them before. The first two are just starting. Um, 
and are in planning or procurement stage. The second two uh, we've been working on for quite a while and we'll be finishing up soon. So next slide. Um, and then this next is a very long list, but actually three of these you have already approved and we are uh, working on these, the Enterprise Network Refresh, Conference Room Communications, and then one today, the Microwave uh, Radio Tower Loop Redundancy. Um, we have several CIPs um, from 2022 um, that we're going to come to you in the next few months um, or have been delayed due to business resource uh, constraints, and that's the ID badge system upgrade, which you've actually already approved, but we have a change to this one that you'll see soon. Uh, public safety dispatch system and then the contract document management system replacement. Uh, and then finally for 2023, uh, I think we have like six new ones. Most of those are refreshes. Um, uh, there's two infrastructure refresh with our firewall and our storage area network. Um, we have two end of life systems that we're going to replace uh, with both the um, fire alarm monitoring as well as the physical access control system refresh. And then finally, two new systems that are going to help improve efficiency, and that's the fleet management system and specification document management software. Next slide. Um, these are small capital. Uh, I can speak in detail to all the technology ones, which is the infrastructure, business applications, uh, GIS. Um, these are the things that we do um, in, in a smaller way, we, re, we um, work on the continuous improvements for the port website, for the Compass system, contract data management, vendor connect, Nexus, GIS. So we just do a lot of enhancements uh, in, in a smaller way. Uh, and the rest of them, uh, fleet replacements and uh, engineering small capital CIPs. So I quickly ran through that. <laughs> Great, thank you, Krista. Yeah. So last one is just a, a reminder of the 2023 uh, budget calendar. I probably won't need to go into detail, but basically you see the timeline from uh, Steve a little bit earlier. Uh, so a couple of key days really, you know, the, um, the division briefing uh, in two weeks, uh, and you'll hear more about the operating divisions uh, operating a capital budget. And then we'll uh, provide the permanent budget document to you uh, in October. Uh, and publish that as well in a couple of days later, and then you will have the, um, the introduction of budget uh, in the first regular meeting in November, and then uh, to have top the budget at the end of uh, November, and then we'll file the statutory budget with the county uh, uh, on January 1st. That's the plan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Krista, and thank you, Steve, for uh, introducing it. I'm gonna uh, give commissioners an opportunity to ask any questions or comments at this point. Commissioner Fellerman. Microphone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there was a couple of questions I had, and uh, I have to go back through the, the notes real quick here. But the um, I, I, there was one little thing that. So if you go back to slide eleven. Um, where we show the central services operating expense budget changes and that the total proposed budget was 162,750. Um, 
I, I just saw that when we go then to the page 13, the baseline budget shows 157.9. I mean, is there, am I missing something? Yeah, this is the baseline uh, budget summary, so just the baseline. Uh, and then the other one is, uh, are you talking about the bottom line, the 11.4? 157, yeah, and then the slide two back where you had the, I like that, what was that called, the stepwise or the cascading? Waterfall. Waterfall. What was Waterfall. Waterfall, I like that one. Um, so there was 162, I mean, is there something? Was it? The difference is the new additions. Mm -hmm. The new additions. All right. Um, stand by. The, um, the next one was, uh, I'm glad to see the, the uh, tribal liaison is in there and um, the college interns, that's all great. Um, I, I had a question on the community programs. Um, it's, which is slide 21. Um, the airport community ecology fund, I, I thought that was tapped out uh, by now. Is it, there's still money left in there? Um, it says 40, 40K, um, it's still, I mean, I, I thought that got, I don't know, it's still accounting inside the South King County Fund. Yeah, we'll, we'll use it up uh, and that will be uh, the subcount kind of impact fund um, going forward. Okay, so it's still it's still out there. Yeah. All right, and so in the number six in the tourism marketing support program, um, 282,000 of the 1.8 million is attributed to the levy. Uh, is, is that the grant program? That's correct. Mm. Okay, and so... Um, all right, so I'm, you know, this tourism conference that we're doing, if this is reoccurring, um, if it's reoccurring, we haven't decided that yet, but uh, I, I, would, I would assume there'd be, it's not a large money, it could be totally rolled out of any of this. Um, the Maritime Blue item, formerly Maritime Innovation Center, is this, um, is this line of 150K for the Innovation Center, or is that, for Maritime Blue separate? For the Maritime Blue one, I believe. All right, so, is, so, the, um, so the Innovation Center would be in Maritime CIP. That's, all right, so that's... That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the EDD CIP. That's like All right, Commissioner, that's that continuing support for Maritime yeah. Blue. Okay, yeah, so yeah. as a community program. So it's sort of like workforce in that sort of category of... Um, all right, and I think I just said one more. Oh, yeah, so, um, you know, one thing, I haven't been briefed on it yet, but, um, you know, I, I did get some insight on this uh, green jobs uh, study that we were undertaking or we just completed. And um, from, from what I understand that the, um, the envelope of what's green jobs is really primarily traditional port-related jobs that, can be applied to like HVAC. Anybody can do HVAC, some HVAC are more efficient than others, but being an HVAC installer unto itself is not a green job. And so when we talk about advancing regional workforce development for port-related industries, I mean, I was really kind of hoping that this was the year that we were fully embracing a port-related industry being, you know, involved with habitat restoration, 
greenhouse gas reduction efforts, things like this. Whereas I don't believe that that is currently what's being accounted for in the port-related green job category. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, um, in, in the course of trying to advance a specific subset of workforce, if we are not fully embracing the broader category of what entails a green job, then I, I think the type of outreach, the type of you know, programming is substantively different. You know, just going to the traditional trades, which is what we've been doing forever, and it's important, is just not advancing green jobs. And so I, I would like to see something clear. You know, we do talk about the Duwamish Valley Community Program, and we plant things in the intertidal there, which is great, but that's like one place where we do that. It's not a port-wide green jobs initiative. Commissioner, I think that's one thing we probably need to get back to you and talk to you about that. You know, as we look at these, the thing with green jobs too is that uh, making sure that they're um, family wage jobs as well and what do they lead to in the follow-on. So there's a discussion within workforce development for looking at that and probably that's more discussion about what is that definition. So because I think everybody's got a different view of what a green job is. Right. I, I just don't want it to be uh, another way of characterizing just traditional trades. I mean, when I keep on bringing up this issue, you know, what is our liability on Duwamish River cleanup? Like hundreds of millions of dollars. Somebody's doing that work, you know, and so, and so obviously there's, there's big money involved with environmentally targeted work. And I would just like to see us um, really putting in the effort to target those what have not been traditional port-related jobs, but they're absolutely related to what we do in order to conduct business. Mr. Commission President, I'm told our call has dropped. If you can give us just a moment, we can stand at, at ease for a moment. Thank you. Okay. I, I think that is more than efficient, sufficient for now. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Wait, hold on, hold on, Fred. We're, we don't have oh, okay. audio. Okay, sorry, sorry. We're in recess right now. I got it. I thought it was just Dan. <laughs> Welcome to the Audio Conferencing Center. Please enter a conference ID followed by pound. You're now joining the meeting. Doing a, a test. Uh, Mr. Thomas, can you hear us? Yes. Thank you. All right. I just had one calendar item. Okay. Um, in going over the budget sequence, you know, there's, there's these two dates that, you know, um, October 12th and 13th, which are the 
I, I don't know whether they're webinars or something mm -hmm. that we are yeah. explaining to the public what's in these budgets, right? Yeah. And so there, you know, it's it, it should be part of the budget schedule. I think it's really an important part that we're explaining to the public what's it at. So it's just um, in in the in the very in the component we go from the 11th to the 18th and. I, I just and and I don't know what it is that we're doing. I said it's online. I haven't heard what is the process. Is it going to be one of those pre-recorded things? Are we going to take questions? But anyway, that, I don't need to discuss it. I just feel that that's a very important part of our budget development. Yeah, thank you very much for the comment. I, a very good suggestion. Actually, we uh, we did not forget that the day that we just kind of finalized working with uh, external relations on the 12th and 13th uh, just came out after we finalized the the PowerPoint. Uh, but the, you know, we have a pop, uh, budget website on the pop website that um, lay out those uh, all the schedule, including the twelve, uh, the open house uh, for maritime EDD and aviation on um, twelve on the twelve and thirteen respectively. So, and are those at one o'clock. Uh, four o'clock. Four o'clock. Yeah, it's uh, also it's a link to uh, register uh, all on the pop website. Yeah. All right, so we have yeah. to get that message out. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Any further questions on the briefing? Commissioner Hasegawa? This is a lot of information. So I'd first like to say thank you so much for presenting it to us as I try to digest the plethora of information that is before us. Um, so first and foremost, on page 14, you cite 83 budget requests from departments with 49 of them approved. Does this account for the commission um, requests? Uh, only, I believe it's only one for the FTE, uh, but not the other commission priorities slash requests. Uh, that's some, I should say, at, you know, like the Seattle Aquarium. I don't know if you can't as pop that. Uh, and similarly for a couple of those other items. And we have the list, actually, the detailed list uh, in the appendix as well, yeah. And you can. Um, I, would, I would add that many of the commission requests are in the division budgets. That's right, yeah. Okay. This is just central services. Many of those appear in the, in the division budgets. And to understand correctly what I heard from Steve earlier is that there will be another briefing at a later time that will cover the status of our commission-specific requests. How they, how they map over, right. Okay. Yeah. And I would say is that clearly is that I think the number is 27 out of the 32. There's a clear, um, and I think there's five that we'd like to talk further about, I guess is how we'd like to put it. Well, I am pleased to see my ask for the um, uh, the Duwamish Valley PCAT program to be funded. Um, I am wondering if this is different than the, the Duwamish Valley Community Equity Program, which says on another page that it's funded at $462,000 from the levy. I'm not sure it's totally different. It's just add some additional funding for um, the whole entire program. Yeah. To support that. An expansion of the program. I'm looking to um, Director Pierce. Uh, Executive Director, Metric uh, Commissioners Pierce Edwards, Senior Director of External Relations. Uh, yes, Commissioner, uh, that uh, the funding level for the South, excuse me, for the Duwamish Valley Community Equity Program uh, annually is about 387,000. 
uh, and uh, we are adding another 80,000 to this year based uh, based upon uh, uh, the request put forward by commission and, and by the community engagement team. Thank you. And I'm looking at the approved new item summary. There's some interesting um, allocations here that I haven't heard of before, and I'm interested. I'd be interested in a briefing on them in the future, not at this time. Um, you know, when I think about something like our ask for child care, at, you know, for a, 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 a project or a study to be done to look at its feasibility or any one of the investments that we're asking the port to be able to make, um, to be able to advance our mission for the benefit of the community at large that relies upon our operations and is impacted by our operations. I, I just, you know, I'm, some, I wonder why, for example, you see $100,000 into a Duwamish Valley effort, and you match it against $64,000 for vet insurance. Okay, vet insurance, and I, I love dogs as much as the next, next person for our canine, but when, we're taught, when I'm told repeatedly as a commissioner that advancing health specifically is not necessarily squarely into our mission, I get emotionally, I, get react, I react when I see, but we can make an almost equal investment into vet insurance. So if our budget is a value statement, I really am gonna take a hard look at what you're referring to over here, an effort that I do applaud to apply an equity lens to this. But equity is not just about how you're thinking about things. It's not just the lens that we've talked about so many times. It's about procedural fairness and outcome fairness. And so when I'm looking at these allocations, I wonder, is the investments that we're making into impacted communities proportionate to the growth of our operations? I'm looking at South King County and the South King County Fund specifically and opportunities to be able to expand it. I'm looking at opportunities to be able to expand robustly and aggressively into com communities in the Duwamish Valley who are going to be impacted by our growing container operations. I'm looking at the growth of the cruise industry that we point to with economic benefits and we hear in public comment people who feel like their, their health is being impacted by this and the investments that we're gonna make. I look forward to hearing some more briefings um, about what some of these programs mean, such as this um, this cruise community relationship that is listed here. Um, but um, I, th I think that we have more work to do. Um, so, so I'm just going to conclude my comments there. Can I just make uh, uh, I'm going to, we've got two other commissioners uh, before you, Commissioner Feldman, and I want to honor the fact that it's 2.52 right now. We are about 22 minutes beyond our allocated time for this, and we have two really important topics to cover before the end of the day today. So uh, before we return to that, uh, just a reminder too, this is a briefing. The action will happen in November, and so we do, as you say, Commissioner Hasega, we have more work to do on this process. Right, we're going to lose a quorum. Yeah. Can't, Stop. hey. We're now in we recess now? We are in recess. Um, Commissioner Cho, do you have any questions or comments on the budget? I'm going to hold my questions and comments. Uh, I think I can follow up with you, Michael, and the team if anything is pressing, but I'll look forward to uh, November. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed, do you have any questions or comments on the briefing?
Okay. Uh, and um, I too am, you know, I, this is, represents an extraordinary amount of work that you guys put in each year to, to create this. And uh, I know that between now and November, we're going to get a number of additional briefings on the divisions and also we'll have time in 221 uh, briefings as commissioners with staff to continue to ask these questions. Those are excellent opportunities to really raise uh, uh, more detailed questions too. So um, thank you all for this briefing. And uh, I imagine we'll see you again throughout the fall as we finalize the budget for next year. Thank you. Uh, Clerk Hard, can you please read item 11C into the record and we'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Yes, thank you, Commissioner President. Um, just a note, I, I believe Commissioner Mohammed may have dropped from this call. So I don't see her on the line. Yeah. So if she comes back, I will make a note for that for the record. Thanks. So this is item 11C, the South Concourse Evolution Project Briefing. Commissioners, the last time we had a public briefing on this project was in April of 2021, where we requested funds for the project definition document. We are now at 15% design and return today to provide you an update on this project. And uh, um, it's a very exciting project, I think, as you'll see the vision that Lance, uh, Lance has uh, and he and his team. First built in 1971, the South Con Concourse serves millions of passengers each year. State of the art for 1971, I guess, is how we would uh, look at it. So uh, with the relocation of our Federal Inspection Services area and the opening of our International Rivals facility, we have a unique opportunity to reimagine the South Concourse to make SEA a world-class airport, improve offerings, and enhance customer experience. This effort will consider expansion of retail and dining and club opportunities, environmental stewardship, community connection through art and architecture, as well as structural improvements and seismic upgrades. The team will return in October to request authorization for procurement of professional services. Once complete, this project will transform SEA as we know it. Our presenters include uh, Lance Little, Managing Director, Aviation, Ken Warren, Capital Program Leader, and uh, I think that's it. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Lance, to kick us off, or Ken. Yeah, me. All right. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director Betrick. I'm Ken Warren, Program Leader for the Capital Development for the Airport. The division... Can we uh, bring the PowerPoint up? There we go. The division has rebranded the South Satellite Renovation Project to the South Concourse Evolution. We've chosen this name as it better represents the transformation that the South Concourse will experience during our project. Next slide. Here are the things that we'll cover. Next slide. Mm -hmm. I'll pass to Lance. Okay. Um, thank you, Ken. Good afternoon again, um, Commissioners. Um, commissioners, some time ago we had a, I can't remember, I think it was the VIP contract or the staffing contract, and I think the question was asked, hey, we're getting a lot of things coming um, to commission. What's the strategy? Um, you know, how does this fit into where we're trying to get to? So this um, slide is an attempt to actually try to answer that question. Unfortunately, it's not the most updated one. Hopefully, you'll get the most updated one at a presentation, but we'll work with this one. Even though, um, commissioners, we come to you with a lot of projects, a lot of initiatives, and it might seem um, ad hoc or um, random, there's actually a method to the madness. And uh, you have probably heard me say it, say it over and over again, there are many pieces to the puzzle that tries that we are, that, sorry, that's actually specifically designed to get us to the end state. 
And some of the goals that you're looking at to the right-hand side, whether it's to get to a five-star rated airport or to get to a level of service optimal, um, to be in the top 25 ASQ airport service quality world ranking, all the projects that you see or the initiative that you see within that um, pieces of the puzzle is what's geared towards um, getting getting us there. So, you know, some time ago we came with the International Arrival Facility, we have the North Satellite, we have the janitorial contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have all of these. And they're actually all geared to get us to this end state. The South um, Concourse Evolution is actually another major piece of that puzzle. Um, we, there's no way we're going to get to the outcome that we're trying to get to with the existing facility that we have right now, which is, as, uh, um, as Steve pointed out, it's a facility that was built back in the 1970s. That it has actually outlived its purpose. Um, the, I want to emphasize, though, the scope of work for this project, even though in the slides to come, you'll see some really nice rendering of what the facility, uh, conceptually, what it's going to look like. I want to emphasize that there's two primary components to the scope of work. One, of course, is safety, right? And I think it's very important for everyone to understand. And Ken is going to speak a little bit more on that. Um, there is, it addresses critical code requirements, whether it's seismic, structural, et cetera. Ken, Ken is going to get into it. But of course, the other one is um, it's an enhanced facility for the passengers, but also for the tenants and for the employees. And so you'll see amenities, new amenities such as mother's nursing um, suites, sensory room, child play area, interfaith prayer, and uh, meditation room, service animal um, relief areas, lounges, airport dining and retail, duty free, etc. This is going to be one of the biggest projects that the port will undertake. It's going to be a very complicated project. And it's going to be a lot of disruption in terms of the operation of the airline and tour tenants. Um, but we have none other, or sorry, none better than um, Ken Warren is going to lead us through the project. So I'm going to ask Ken to get into some more details on this project. Ken? Absolutely. So thank you, Lance, for that wonderful comment. And uh, we really do hope that we can deliver on our promises on what we're making today as we move towards the future with this project. Let's move to the next slide, please. All right, our design is at about 15%. The programming is complete and the project's ready for the delivery team. Let's move to the next slide. The infrastructure is anticipating a robust invigoration. It is important to note on this slide that the seismic susceptibility and that we serve 25 different airlines out of the South Satellite today. Next slide. Our objectives are to extend the life of the facility for the next 50 years. By enhancing the terminal with new structure and seismic upgrades in a responsible and sustainable way. Our second objective is to create a new, modern passenger experience to meet the standards that Lance mentioned earlier. Next slide, please. Here are the existing conditions that you see today. As Lance noted, it's a difficult concourse and a, and a newly vacated customs area. Next slide. 
The new design allows for a, a more robust experience for passengers as they now will enter the former customs area as you look at the bottom of this uh, section cut from the train before moving up vertically through the concourse. This allows for more amenities, dining, and retail opportunities. We also have added club and lounge space on the upper level. Next slide, please. The exterior will balance the south views with the new adjacent terminals. This new aesthetic will be complementary for our airport. Next slide. This next view is from the former customs area looking back at the train. So you can see how we've recaptured that customs area into a new experience. Next slide. On the concourse, the core will capture daylight from up above and provide improved access to the upper level. So this really gives that thoroughfare and a similar look to as you might imagine coming through the core of the North Satellite. Next slide, please. At this point in the design, we've captured some great opportunities that the project has presented. From capturing space from the former customs operations to expansion, enhanced amenities, and a new ADR experience, all while bracing the structure to ensure that we have invigorated the infrastructure in a responsible manner. We've captured lessons from other programs and projects and have selected the general contractor construction manager delivery path. Next slide. Our schedule shows a two-step authorization plan that aligns with the airlines and the port approval process. Construction is expected to last through 2031 at this time. And you'll see this is again a waterfall feature on our schedule. Next slide. Here's a snapshot of the delivery team. The boxes indicate the different procurements and our staff augmentation. No project is undertaken without risks. We've captured many potential risks and we're already working on mitigation strategies at this early stage. We're planning a robust controls program to ensure that we keep our eyes on the prize. Oh no, you blew my surprise. <laughs> so now you must be eager to understand what will this evolution require from a budgetary perspective. Next slide, yes please. <laughs> we now know that our expected budget range of 1.4 to 1.7 billion dollars to complete this project. The green leaf represents the SEAC committee where the team will present the sustainable design approach of the project. We are a tier three framework we, hold, we held spark meetings and have identified strategies both during the PDD and the design. We will include reducing solar heat gain, providing on-site food collection for the donation program, engaging dishwashing and encouraging reusable serviceware, new electric powered ground service equipment chargers, reducing embodied carbon, 
integrating electric cooking, reducing potable water consumption more aggressively than code, and achieving lead silver. These are all studies that need further refinement and enhancement. We need to bring our teams on board to get to the 30% level before we can develop the strategies further to determine which are viable and which are not, which we then will present during the 30% design effort to understand how they may affect the scope, the schedule, and the budget. Another note to the budget is that we have yet to fully understand how the two-phase proposed construction sequence impacts the airport-wide operations during construction. We need to engage our teams to gain this understanding and then collaborate with our operations staff and our airline partners to come up with a strategy. Next slide. Next month, we'll be requesting $100 million to assemble our team and begin the next phase. We've partnered with our airline partners and they concur with our approach for the project approval. Next slide. All right, I know I gave a bunch of information, talked to the slides and not really read the slides, so there's a lot of information there. If you have any further questions about particular slides and particular items, we're happy to, to dig into it. Anything from you, Commissioner Coffins? Thank you, Ken. Uh, and am I correct in noting that you used to come and present to us about the North Satellite? Yes, sir. I was program <laughs> leader for the North Satellite well, Modernization. Well, I'm deeply appreciative that you're on this project, too, because as a reminder, that was uh, on schedule or, or ahead of schedule and under budget, too. So ahead let's see if we can do that for that 1.4 to 1.7. We're going to do our best. <laughs> Terrific. Okay. I'm going to turn it over to other commissioners for questions and comments. Commissioner Muhammad, maybe I'll turn to you to see if you have any questions or comments. She did, I think she was back, so. She was back at 2.59. All right, uh, Commissioner Fellman, did you have a question? I just wanted to say, I, looking to the future, trying to make a lemonade out of what's really a constrained space, and the, it takes great vision to try to break open this box. And so I appreciate you looking at this because you're traveling anywhere else the constraints of space in this airport are just challenging and not to have the headroom and that whole airport experience is only can go up so thank you for taking your mind to it right and and to note the the really the primary objective here is from the safety perspective that Lance mentioned you know the susceptibility of the of the seismic with the, the plans that we have to brace this building and couple it with the new passenger amenities and meet the requirements of the future traveler to integrate technology and all of the things that we've done that are so great around this airport at the other terminals to bring this level of service up to where we are expected to be uh, is, is the challenge and to do it within the footprint and uh, do it with our partners and within the constraints of the CBP and and uh, agriculture, and, yep, all while we're operating. So it is a, it is a true challenge, <laughs> and it is uh, our job to, to go and, and dig deep and, and really work to do this and, and make this project a, a success and do it in that sustainable and responsible way that the port knows we can do. 
we've, we've achieved projects similar like this in the past. It's a challenge, it's a little different, but we feel like we're up for that challenge. Our planning department and all of our staff in the aviation division and the other divisions that have helped support this program thus far have really input all of the things that we really want to enlighten into this terminal so that it's gonna be a beautiful space that's gonna meet those requirements for the next 50 years. And that's the vision that, that Lance conveys to us and we do our darndest to try to deliver that and we do try to deliver it on time and on budget. Commissioner Mohammed, I see you there. Are you hoping to uh, ask a question or share a comment? Yeah, I'm, I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties, but thank you for the time. I have no questions, but um, I do echo uh, the same sentiments as Commissioner uh, Fellman. I appreciate the work that you all are doing, and um, I recognize the challenges you all face, and it's impressive work. You guys have taken on the challenge, and um, you all are an incredible aviation team um, that are prepared for, for those challenges, and so... Um, I'm just grateful and appreciative of what's happening. Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you so much for your presentation. I'm wondering what thoughts you have around how um, you can work with our contractors to meet, make sure that they're meeting their own diversity goals. Well, that's a great question. And uh, part of the reason why we chose the, the GCCM delivery method is it allows us to have those conversations with our contractors. So I know it's a big ask to ask for $100 million uh, coming up next month. Uh, and, but that's you know a certain percentage of this overall project. And what that will do is allow us to bring these teams on and to bring this contractor on early and develop the plan so we can engage the WIMBY programs and the diversity and contracting programs to achieve the highest results that we can and engage that general contractor to do the outreach and continue to do the outreach. We don't expect to be out to bid for the subcontract packages until 2024. So it gives us that time and allows us the ability to work the community and work the programs and leverage them in a way that we can really see the results at the end of the day. So we'll be able to reestablish our goals and then really try to meet them or beat them. And we were able to do that with the North Satellite Program. We achieved and surpassed a lot of our goals that we set, and we set those in 2017, and we were in 2019 and 2021 achieving those results and going, wow, we, we really could have set higher goals. So mm -hmm. we'll definitely work with the commission and all of the senior staff and executives to try to reasonably make these goals that are there and then maybe try to make some reach goals as well and reach out for those and try to do the best that we can to bring those subcontractors and, and try to help the entire community, not just the large contractors or the large tradespeople that are out there. Um, if I could just add to, to this, to what Ken just said, Commissioner Asko, um, we're very deliberate about um, having Wimby minority women participation. In fact, we had an industry day specific for this project and we actually timed it um, to coincide with the AAA conference that we hosted. We actually had, had it right here in this, in this room. So we partnered, we, we invited all the minority contractors, women-owned businesses, small businesses, 
we had all the primes so they can actually start putting together their partnership to submit proposals for this project. So we've been very deliberate about um, WIMBE participation, a minority woman-owned business participation as part of this project. Because it's a huge project. I really appreciate that, um, that context um, and that information. I also ask, um, in reflection of some former presentations that we've had where projects have reported on their actual workforce demography and, um, and how it's been difficult to find women to be able to enter into the trades. And so that's part of what we're thinking about too in terms of supporting workforce development. But um, if, to the extent that you have thoughts around um, partnering with some of your contractors or, or even the subcontractors and making sure that we have a diverse workforce because we know that a diverse workforce equals economic opportunities for our community members. Yeah, removing those barriers to entry for, for uh, the challenged uh, workforce and, and creating that, that more diverse workforce. We look around us and we say, what is our community and what is the community uh, of construction and what does that look like? And then what, where can we go to and where can it look like and can we force change through spending 1.4 to 1.7 billion dollars and, and I hope the answer to that is yes and I hope that we can work with our partners and really push all of that to help remove those barriers and bring more diverse candidates into the programs that the port supports as well as the contracts that pay the real money. Mm -hmm. I think that some of the challenges that you expressed earlier is we're investing into programs and you can see them. You have lots of programs for the Duwamish or this or workforce development for that. But then where are the results on the other end? How can these folks earn the money and earn a living wage? And this is how we do it is we have to bridge from those programs that we've invested in and then branch that into really translating and following the story of those specific people to the unions and to the subcontractors that are working on our projects where they're making the living wage. And I believe when we had our opening of the North Satellite, um, Lance and, and Steve had a few videos that we showed some very specific people that had started with the port in some of these entry-level programs. And then they branched over and they were able to work on the North Satellite. And it was such a story to warm our hearts to see this. And we want to make sure that we encourage those opportunities so that we can show the story and connect those dots. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness around this. And my final thought on it is that um, one of the ways where I think that we can support it also is just by the data collection and knowing the numbers. And that's something that we would be interested in following as a project of this magnitude um, goes forward. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, we're, we're going to put together a team that's not just going to set up controls for the project, but we're going to be working with all of our organization to track all of the metrics all the way down so that we can make and connect these dots. Terrific, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Lance. Uh, I, for my part, I would just say I could uh, flip through amazing architectural renderings of our future buildings all day. I love that part of this job, <laughs> looking at just getting to uh, daydream about what's to come. My only concern is that it's a 2031 delivery date, so I think I have to get reelected twice to get to be at the ribbon cutting <laughs> ceremony. So uh, if there's any chance we could uh, accelerate that, it would be great. Um, you guys have done such an excellent job with the, um, the renovations of the existing facilities, and it really has shown in the customer service levels and, and recognition from our um, 
from our customers, passengers, and from Pure Airport. So thank you all so much for this. Uh, at this time, we're going to go back to item 11A, uh, which we had um, postponed to make sure we could have all of our guest speakers here. And uh, I'll have Clerk Hart read that into the record, and then I believe, Steve, you're going to kick that off as well. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, the Port Aquarium Strategic Relationship Briefing. Commissioners, up next you'll hear about a strategic relationship we've developed with the Seattle Aquarium, in large part thanks to the leadership of uh, Commissioner Fellman. Uh, under your direction, Port staff have developed a memorandum of understanding that outlines that nature of this relationship, uh, puts it into writing, and as, a, as well as begun conversations of a port-related marine-focused exhibit at the forthcoming Ocean Pavilion expansion of the Seattle Aquarium, that I look at every day when I, uh, as I come down the Alaskan way to look at it. Potential areas for collaboration include sustainability, workforce development, tourism, conservation, and many more. Uh, there's a number of presenters. We have from uh, the Port of Seattle, David Yeaworth, Strategic Advisor from the Commission Office, uh, Bob Davidson, President and CEO of Seattle Aquarium, uh, Susan um, Bullardick, uh, Director of Capital Projects, uh, Derek Baker, Director of uh, Strategic Initiatives and Government Affairs at the Aquarium. Tom Hennis, uh, prin Principal and Founder uh, from Is It Think? Is It Think uh, Design? And then Cynthia Lee, Senior Curator, Experience Interpretation with Think Design, and Lucas Thorne, Senior Exhibit Designer with Think Design. So, uh, anyway, uh, at this point, I guess I'll turn it over to David. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, Commissioners. Again, I'm David Yeaworth, Strategic Advisor to the Port of Seattle Commission. Um, we have a couple of presentations for you, but before, so we'd like to uh, have uh, CEO, Aquarium CEO, Bob Davidson say a few words. Thank you, David. Uh, Director Metric, President Calkins, Commissioners. I want to start by acknowledging and thanking the many people that have helped us to arrive at today. The Port of Seattle and Seattle Aquarium have long stood as neighbors along the waterfront, but they've also shared a commitment to helping our communities better understand their connection and interdependence with our marine environment. Our ocean is facing unprecedented challenges, and it will take collaboration, innovation, and bringing new voices to the table if we're going to tackle the enormity of the situation we face. The Seattle Aquarium's working to bring our values to life as we expand with the new Ocean Pavilion. We're working to create a sustainable campus that embraces cutting-edge technologies that limit energy and water use and that targets living building design standards. Similarly, the Port of Seattle is working to be the greenest port in North America and is investing in innovative projects to help protect our Salish Sea. Both of our organizations have embraced protecting marine species, whether it be slowing ships to help southern resident orcas or restoring kelp forests, or by partnering to reintroduce endangered species and promoting environmental education. Our shared commitment to building resilient coastal ecosystems and communities sets the foundation for our ongoing partnership. I'm excited to share more about how that partnership has begun to flourish over the past year. And I want to thank Director Metric, staff, and all of the commissioners who have made this moment possible. I look forward to many more presentations to come where we share new initiatives 
successful partnerships and shared opportunities between our organizations going forward. Thank you. Thank you, CEO Davidson. Uh, Commissioners, we have two presentations for you. The first is about the memorandum of understanding between the port and the aquarium to develop a strategic relationship. And the second is about the exhibit at the, at the forthcoming Ocean Pavilion. Um, Aubrey, if you could please put up the first uh, presentation, please. So um, today, we're, th this presentation is about the, the strategic relationship. Um, next slide, please. Uh, what we want to go over for you today is what is in the content of the Memorandum of Understanding, uh, give you a little context as far as the history of what the aquarium and the port have done in past collaborations, and they give, then give you a sense of the horizon as far as what could be in the future collaborative opportunities. Next slide, please. So in the Memorandum of Understanding, which um, CEO Davidson and Director Metric signed uh, recently, uh, it's all been fully executed. Um, the agreement is that the port will contribute $5 million to the aquarium over the course of five years. It's uh, essentially, it's $5 million, not exactly, but it's essentially $1 million per year for the next five years. Um, during that time, the port and the aquarium will develop uh, a strategic relationship, uh, or further a strategic relationship. And the process by which to do that is to establish a uh, work group of both port and aquarium representatives that would work to create a biannual or a two-year work plan for different opportunities for the two organizations to collaborate together. During that time, um, both organizations would be available to the other to provide updates on the process, on the project progress of the collaboration. And also during that time, um, continued work would occur to envision and design and construct a new port-related marine exhibit at the Ocean Pavilion, and you'll receive the full, you'll receive a, a healthy presentation on that momentarily. Next slide, please. So just to put this in context a little bit, um, it's, it's very exciting to, to have the, the partnership develop even further, but it's, um, it's also been a, a relationship that's been ongoing. Some of the highlights from the past, of course, are the Quiet Sound program at Maritime Blue, as well as a, a good amount of kelp work, both the kelp fellow and kelp restoration in particular. And then I would highlight regarding the, the forthcoming exhibit at the uh, at the Ocean Pavilion, um, there is a, called the Port Sound Walk. There's been a team of advi uh, an advisory committee that's been meeting with the port, with the aquarium and Think Design to envision the, that project. Um, that's been meeting for about the past six months. Next slide, please. Um, in thinking about the components of the, that would go into the biennial work plans, um, this is one of those lists that is uh, I've learned the term including but not limited to. This is the including but not limited to list of potential opportunities, tourism and economic development, sustainability, marine habitat, workforce development, and EDI. Um, I think an interesting highlight of this is that it matches up very nicely with the departments of the port. And the next slide, please. And then as far as means are concerned regarding ability to cooperate and collaborate, um, thinking about events, materials, community outreach, job fairs, uh, training for both staff and volunteers, placemaking and signage. Next slide, please. And then finally, just to give you a sense of the timeline, um, we're planning to use the remainder of this year to figure out how to create the first biennial work plan and then to use the first two quarters of next year to actually create that plan um, and then to, uh, have targeted implementation of the work plan beginning in summer of next year. Next slide, please. 
so that, in a nutshell, that's it. Um, I, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to present to you. I, I also want to say thank you to my colleagues, Mike Merritt, Ryan Stamper, and Larry Eel, who were very instrumental, each of them, in uh, getting the MOU across the finish line. And be happy to take any questions or comments that you have. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Commissioner Fellman to begin questions and comments. I just want to express my appreciation. This was a major team effort to uh, pull that together and, and a lot of thoughtful work and wordsmithing and, and, and really for executive metric to embrace this effort. It's a, it's a generational opportunity. This is the beginning of a long and wonderful relationship, I hope. So uh, thank you very much for all the work that's done. Other commissioners? Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you so much for bringing this to us today for a briefing. Um, Five million dollars is a lot of money. And so, um, you know, I'm really thinking about this in terms of regional benefit as an excellent um, tourism destination, as a wonderful educational opportunity, particularly for the youth. Um, I think that the Pacific Northwest has so much to share. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of an equity strategy to make sure, just knowing how the waterfront is can be hard to get to for folks with the limited parking that's available there. What's the thought behind how we can make sure that there's regional benefit and access for students from all across King County? Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Uh, I really appreciate the question, and that's uh, an issue that the aquarium cares about very deeply as we think about how we build a more equitable and um, inclusive uh, environmental movement, um, especially around ocean conservation. And so, um, you know, the aquarium, um, it, it's that inclusion is one of our, our, our values that we have in our, our Salish values as an organization. And um, really, we are, are working to uh, make sure that we build an aquarium that um, provides access opportunities. We have a, a community connections program that partners with more than 400 partner organizations across um, uh, the region, not just in Seattle, but um, uh, across the state to bring uh, uh, groups and, and individuals of, of very diverse backgrounds to the aquarium to be able to experience and, and, and um, uh, learn about the wonders of our ocean. Um, as far as the uh, making the uh, waterfront more accessible, I know that it's been a priority of the city of Seattle as we've worked in partnership with them to provide, um, uh, you know, whether it be transit access and, and other kinds of uh, community access to the waterfront, make it more accessible. Um, you know, the connections that the new ocean pavilion will provide between our downtown core and the waterfront are really just uh, the, the tip of the iceberg as far as uh, the overall uh, plan around the waterfront and how we can make um, uh, this uh, a welcoming environment, a waterfront for all. Um, and, and additionally, with our school and public programs, you know, the aquarium has prioritized making um, sure that we provide scholarship opportunities to students to be able to come to the aquarium. Um, we're, we're always looking to uh, bring uh, people to us and then also be out in the community and, and also go to them because uh, we know that that's important to um, meet people where they are and to build a more um, inclusive movement. So well, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Commissioner Muhammad. How did you know I had a question? <laughs> you um, appeared on the screen and I thought, oh, she must have something to ask or say. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you all for presenting and for you all's leadership. Um, especially uh, on the commission side, Commissioner Fellowman, 
I know this is this work is really important to you, and so um, uh, I appreciate all the hard work you've put into this. Um, I'm really excited about this partnership. Uh, similar to Commissioner Hasegawa, I have um, a, a, a similar question, folks. There are a lot of folks in our community who've been um, historically excluded from um, accessing the waterfront for a number of reasons, and I've always looked at the aquarium as a place um, that is welcoming and a place that um, our, all of our community members can go to to learn and explore uh, explore and um, have opportunities to understand our waterfront and ocean. And um, you guys have that beautiful event room as well in so many beautiful spaces. And I wonder um, about your community partnership and how that includes um, a lot of our nonprofit organizations that serve community members that have been historically excluded. What are, um, you know, I guess I'm making suggestions here. I'd love to see some of those nonprofit organizations use your facility and look at your facility as a place that they can host their community members, that they can host their yearly galas and, and so forth. As we are making this investment, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that we are being intentional about partnering with. And I think um, we got to break down the silos. And so all of these investments that we are making, it'd be beautiful if we see some overlap that happen. Some of the organizations that we are funding through our career launch program, I'd love to see them use the aquarium as a space at some point to host some of their educational um, programming there. Um, often what we see with aquariums is that, you know, City of Seattle makes investments and our schools make investments, but a lot of those kids end up in the aquarium once or twice their whole life. Um, it's, a, it's a field trip and then that's it. But we, we want to go beyond that. And I think um, being really intentional about those community partnership will require that. And so I just wanted to um, put that out there in kind of a question slash comment format. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. I, again, appreciate both the comment and the question. I, I think um, we agree. Um, we're, we're building a, a place that um, really we want, you know, this, this waterfront and the aquarium as a centerpiece to be a gathering place, a community space that, um, you know, welcomes all and, and can, can act as that hub along our waterfront. Um, you know, whether it be the publicly accessible rooftop or, you know, the spaces inside, you know, there, there's so many opportunities to partner and grow those community connections and, and community partnerships. Um, you know, like I mentioned, our community connections program, I'm really excited for the opportunity to bring together uh, representatives from the port uh, with our teams at the aquarium to think about how we can continue to grow that program and, and, and make it even more accessible and to find uh, pathways into to new people that maybe didn't think about coming to the aquarium because this is, a, is presents a real opportunity. and. Uh, this is going to be a, a beautiful space that everyone should enjoy, and so this is this this is really a cool opportunity to partner together and, and think creatively about how we can make it even more accessible and, and to all. And Commissioner Mohammed, if I could add on to that too, please. Um, thank you for that helpful suggestion. Um, part of the thinking about how the work plan could come together from a process perspective is to bring the representatives from our from the port together with their appropriate counterparts at the aquarium. So. Right in this instance, it could be the representatives from the office of EDI coming together with the court appropriate to do to continue this kind of a brainstorm. Thank you, Dan. I love that. Thank you. My comments fall into two categories. The first is uh, following up on the comments about 
how we engage youth in this process, and particularly youth that have not historically had access to waterfronts or boats or marine biology or all the things that uh, an aquarium will expose them to. Uh, and so just echoing those comments. And then also not just thinking about the sort of inbound funnel, but the outbound. How does the aquarium help tee up the opportunity for those kids who have who've come to the aquarium and are excited about maritime and marine life and all of the myriad possibilities and the expanding possibilities that uh, the ocean represents for meaningful careers for young people going forward. You know, what, they're walking out the door. How are you uh, encouraging them to take that next step? Uh, whether that's to, you know, get engaged with um, Maritime High School or the Seattle Maritime Academy or um, Center for Wooden Boats or those things that will take a, that, peaked interest and turn it into something that becomes a lifelong passion. Um, and you don't have to answer that, but I just want to share with you that's a, uh, when this first came up, that was where I immediately went, was I hope we can partner as institutions to make sure that we're thinking that way. And then the second thing, and I think the, the thing that makes me so excited about this project is, is uh, just my love for this city and the desire to see uh, Seattle continue on its path towards being a true cosmopolitan capital. And I think these kinds of civic institutions uh, form the connective tissue that, that makes cities enduring as places that people want to come, whether as tourists or as residents. Uh, I was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, had, the, had a chance to walk on the roof of the uh, Oslo Opera House. And it reminds me a lot of what we're planning here, that it literally goes right into the water and bridges some of... Uh, the earlier waterfront that was really not accessible to the to walkers and residents and the fact that we're creating this space a rooftop that will serve as a park basically uh, and will connect our waterfront to our uh, famous market and into downtown is really exciting for me and so again as i was saying last presentation i love looking at the renderings i only wish we could bring it about sooner but as I, as I have recently traversed underneath the, the metalwork that's being put in for this, it is truly exciting to see this kind of development and to know that in another five years, our waterfront will be totally transformed. Uh, you know, it, I think about how, how transformational the sculpture park was to the north end of the waterfront and how this is going to be the sort of central feature of our waterfront. It's really exciting and I'm glad that, that we get to have a little small part of that. So thank you so much for your presentation. And we have one more question from Commissioner Hasegawa. Thank you so much. You had mentioned about, as part of your equity or community engagement strategy, that you go to where communities are. I'm wondering, have you had the opportunity to connect directly yet with the Port Community Action Team? Uh, not to date, we haven't. And I think that's really where we see the foundation of this MOU and really building of these biennial work plans is to, there, there's incredible work going on at the port right now and then also amongst our aquarium team. And we really just need to, build the structure and, 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 and the, the plan to think about how we can communicate with each other, figure out where there's a lot of synergy, where we can partner together. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity. So, um, you know, I, uh, we look forward to, to, to the collaboration. I would, I would request that you um, reach out and begin to establish that relationship with them. Give them a briefing about what's to come on the waterfront as they are representing um, you know, Duwamish River and then port communities, um, but to give them a glimpse of what is to come in terms of some of those really exciting economic development and workforce development opportunities. This is exactly the type of um, community group that could be a good nexus for you to reach more folks. So, thank you.
Thank Sure, one more bite of the apple, Commissioner Feldman. Yeah, I, I am sorry it's taken this long to appreciate your patience and all that. And I've worn down to the point where I forgot to really thank my staff. You know, David Yeworth has been a staunch ally. I've been getting this thing over the over the debt over the hope here. And so David, greatly appreciative of all that work and had I been thinking clearer sooner. But also, um, Derek, you like us, we don't sell ourselves very well, but you, you're, what's with your program that you have with the, the free, how many free passes did you give out like last year for kids to get to the waterfront? Isn't there like a whole, I mean, I was told basically as many as people needed was almost the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, through our community connections program that I mentioned, um, so that, that's our partnership with more than 400 uh, community partners throughout uh, the region. Uh, we distributed, uh, which on average, about annually, we distribute about 80,000 um, uh, community passes. We also have a, a, a community uh, a connections uh, family membership as well, um, where families can get access uh, for to the aquarium. And then we have all of the other community program. You know, we're out um, on our beaches. We have, on average, more than 80,000 uh, community conversations through our, our beach naturalist program at 12, 13, 12. Uh, beaches up and down uh, the, the sound here and then also um, you know we're out in uh, school communities where we're doing virtual programming so we want to make an aquarium that's accessible to all and 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 we look forward to continue to build that and expand that with the ocean pavilion yeah and I just wanted to, that you know these are big outreach things and and you know because I've had the pleasure of having familiarity with both of you that's the fact that we don't know each other's programs entirely that's why the strategic plan is so important it, there are these natural synergies, getting us all in the same room together. These outreaches will become natural. And like I said, it's like nobody's twisting arms here. We're, yeah. we're adamantly in agreement, I think. So, but looking forward to growing that further. And with regards to Commissioner Calkin's question about how do you go and what do you, now that we got your attention, the reason why I loved having the exhibit there, and this is the segue into the exhibit, was that people are coming to see the fishes, and then all of a sudden they're going in to see a port exhibit. So how did we take that interest and then pass it on? And this is where Commissioner Hasegawa was most interested in making sure there's this kind of workforce component, and, but it's all kind of a work in progress. So that's key. I think if it's gonna be a port exhibit, it's gotta take you through from the biological to the human. So let's hear about the exhibit. If I can just say one last word on that, do this, and thank you for those kind words. The, um, I also want to thank Commissioners Hasegawa and Feldman for serving on the advisory committee that helped create the vision for the, uh, for the future exhibit. Um, and um, so now we're going to turn to a really exciting presentation on the, the, the work in progress of the exhibit. And I want to encourage you just because it's, very, it's, a, it's a significant presentation. It's got a lot of slides. It might be wise if we waited to the end to have questions just because there's a lot of fodder right there. But I'll turn it over to Derek and Susan to, to make the presentation. Thank you, David. And um, uh, I'm starting off my presentation with lots of thank yous as well. I want to thank uh, Commissioner Hasegawa and Commissioner Fellerman for their leadership on um, with the charrette process on this exhibit. Uh, the port staff, there was a, a great team that co contributed to this effort as we've had uh, a number of uh, design charrettes and as we built the concept out for this exhibit. Um, we're really excited about what this opportunity is and uh, the storytelling um, synergy that we were able to develop and, and to be able to tell um, the connectedness of people to our, our ocean, to our maritime, 
uh, roots as a, as a city. And so um, really uh, excited to share more. And, and big thank you to the Think team as well, who will be coming on here shortly to share the, the wonderful work that they've been doing. Um, it's a world-class design team that um, has been working hard on this uh, ocean pavilion, and um, they they just knocked it out of the park once again with this this effort. So we're just really excited about this opportunity. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, before we get into the inside, we just wanted to share a very brief update and kind of visuals uh, that uh, Commissioner Calkins mentioned. That we we are excited that the ribbon cutting won't be too far off. So hopefully. Um, you could join us at, at that in uh, not too long, uh, but uh, this is the uh, campus concept for the uh, with the Ocean Pavilion uh, as the central uh, component of uh, the waterfront there as part of our, our waterfront redevelopment. You can see the public rooftop, um, the the new pathways down from the market. This will be a historic civic landmark in the heart of our new waterfront and really uh, can reconnect us to our ocean roots as a city and, and place conservation squarely at the heart of our new uh, waterfront. So we're, we're very excited about this opportunity. Next slide, please. And here we have a view um, of the overlook walk flowing down onto the rooftop of the Ocean Pavilion. Um, you see the gardens, the green space, the open connections uh, that people will enjoy as they navigate down to our historic waterfront. We are really excited um, to, uh, again, going back to the aquarium's values, and one of our values, one of our Salish values is honoring place. And so um, we are excited to work with representatives. Uh, we brought in a, an indigenous um, consulting team to work with um, our neighbors, Muckleshoot and the Suquamish Nations to program and think through how we tell the storytelling on this rooftop, but also on the exhibits on the inside of the Ocean Pavilion. Uh, that was a, a collaborative process that we were just tremendously excited with the result as we're going to be telling stories as people navigate down onto this rooftop uh, and really recognizing at the heart of our waterfront um, uh, our Coast Salish um, history and, and the, the, the first peoples that uh, called this place home. Uh, next slide, please. Here you see some of the new connections down to the waterfront from the water's edge. Uh, we're really excited about the opportunity to activate this plaza to bring people in to, to learn about conservation in our marine environment as they navigate along this new fantastic seawall that we have and, and that is uh, really renowned around the world um, to, to tell the story of our connection to our, our local waters, but to also a broader ocean story as they experience and have views in and out of the aquarium. Next slide. Here you see some of the views from the rooftop looking down towards our working port. Um, this will be a tremendous view. These are the views that everyone enjoyed from the viaduct, um, but now you'll have a, a, a place where folks can gather and enjoy and, and view out uh, and enjoy our waterfront from and look out at the Salish Sea and Elliott Bay um, right, right in the heart of our, our city. Uh, next slide. And really, uh, the other value that we embrace as an organization is sustainability, and we are just tremendously excited about the innovative um, uh, work that our team has done to make this one of the greenest aquarium buildings in the world. Um, this will be 100, the, the operations of the Ocean Pavilion will be 100% fossil fuel free, 94% um, redu reduction in water use, uh, really cutting edge technologies as we work to, uh, as Bob mentioned, achieve a living building certification for this building as we bring our values of sustainability and to life on this project. Uh, next slide. 
And finally, the view and the, the, the iconic space, the, the Oculus, as people will navigate along our waterfront, they'll be able to take a view into the, the, the main exhibit in the Ocean Pavilion, um, uh, a 350,000-gallon uh, coral reef ecosystem that will display uh, large amounts of elasmobranchs, tropical fish, um, uh, showing that connection to corals and our ocean. Um, really, we're excited about this platform that will also provide to launch species reintroduction programs as we work to recover wild shark species, um, and also just to expand um, the, the global story of how uh, what happens here in our local Salish Sea is connected to that broader ocean. And so um, with that, I'm going to dive inside. Oh, next slide, please. Uh, we'll hand it off to the, the Think team to share a little bit about uh, the great work that the, the team has been doing in the Charette process, and uh, we would love to um, uh, hear your feedback and thoughts. So take it away, Think. All right. Thanks, Derek. Um, this is uh, Lucas from uh, Think Design. I am actually in New York joining you today. Um, if you could go to the next slide, that'd be great. So this is the heart of the new Ocean Pavilion, and it's, we're calling this space One Ocean Hall. Um, and what's unique about this project uh, is that it puts at the center of the aquarium the relationship of uh, human beings to our ocean communities, to the different inhabitants of the ocean. So it's not just the habitat in the center, but it's a space where there's a dialogue about how humans and the natural world relate. And we create this space at the center rather than an object in the center to create that opportunity. And within that space, there's um, projection and storytelling that happens. And then there's also a view out towards, uh, towards Elliott Bay, which you see in the distance there. And I think as Derek and others have mentioned, you know, we've, we've been through this process uh, with representatives from the port to figure out how does the port story and the work that the aquarium and the port are doing together, how does that fit into this space and into the new stories that are being told in the aquarium, which is really taking a, a more regionally focused aquarium. And this pavilion gives it an opportunity to talk about a global scale um, by bringing in uh, habitats from the Indo-Pacific and the Coral Triangle region. Um, so if you go to the next slide, um, this is a view then out towards uh, the Strait of Juan de Fuca, out Elliott Bay, um, and this is the beginning of where we were imagining the story of the port um, being integrated into the, into the experience of the aquarium. And this view gives you that connection. You've just seen habitats from Indo-Pacific in this one ocean hall. Now you're looking back out towards, towards um, the local environment. And the, the thought came to us about the, the, quiet, um, the quiet sound program and how we could tell a story through sound and through experiencing what's happening underneath the water in this view. And as you dive under the water and you go towards the Indo-Pacific, how can we tell a story that connects the sounds from here across the Pacific um, and then back to Seattle and along that journey, tell the work, all the, the stories of what the port is doing to sort of care for the port and for the sound and to create um, a, a community of care uh, to really 
create this thriving relationship between humans and the animal world. If you go to the next image, um, you step down this corridor, and this is at the second level. You're moving south from north to south. To the left is the large habitat that Derek mentioned with the elasmobranchs and the, the, the fish. Um, and you're, you're moving, so from Seattle then into, into the Indo-Pacific, so, um, and diving under the water um, as you move through this space. And this is where we create a sound walk that we're imagining as the, the port sound walk that takes you from Seattle. Uh, and next slide, please. And as you move along the pathway, you encounter a series of uh, zones that have different audio experiences as well as different graphics that tell you about this journey that you're embarking and about the animals that you encounter along the way. Next slide, please. As you come to the middle point of this journey, you have arrived in the Indo-Pacific um, where the aquarium is doing uh, some fantastic conservation and community work with local organizations. And that is the, on the left, you're seeing an, an exhibit uh, that has uh, living uh, inhabitants from, from that region that are being cared for uh, in the aquarium and that the aquarium is working to restore wild populations of. Uh, and then as you continue down the pathway, next slide, please. You begin to see Seattle reemerging in the distance. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and this is where we have a bit more space to tell in more detail some of the, the work, the specific work that the port is doing to, to care for the local environment uh, through um, an interactive experience around graphics and the, the, the jobs and, and the initiatives that the port is engaged in and that allows you to understand how a community of care evolves in this uh, special place and then go to the next slide, please. Um, and that is framed then with a view where you can see again the cranes from the port and the view towards the restored waterfront. This is what the waterfront looks like now. In the future, there will be a large public park and a lot of uh, people where there is now a construction site. Um, and this takes you then back to that connection back to Seattle. Um, so if you go to the um, next slide. Cynthia, do you want to talk a little more about the sort of storytelling here? Sure. So just a quick concept overview of the Port Soundwalk. Um, in this exhibit, we'll remind visitors that just outside the Ocean Pavilion is Ellie Bay, a 600-foot deep harbor and, and home to many underwater communities. So what is life like out there below the waterline? We want people to think about um, what do different parts of the ocean sound like? How does sound impact how ocean animals relate to one another and their environment? And how do oceans experience changes in human technology? What innovations are we developing so we can all thrive together? Um, next slide. So this is then showing in a plan view that space that we just walked through. So on the left is the uh, One Ocean Hall, which is a double height space that takes you from the ground floor to the second level. Um, and then zones uh, one, two, three, four, and five are sort of the different audio zones that we will uh, talk about in a little more detail. One uh, additional note is that uh, view to the west, 
uh, we've added some interpretation to talk about Seattle as part of this global network. Um, and really the, the reality of the port and the connective tissue that the port provides um, and, and the origin in a lot of ways for Seattle as, as a place of commerce is, is that sense of connection. So we're really leveraging that view to the West. Um, as a point of entry into this larger story around um, around sound. So if you go to the next view, um, this is the view from the uh, top of the stair. As you have a similar view when you come from the elevator across the other side of the uh, One Ocean um, Hall. And then if you go to the next slide, um, we are planning for graphic interpretation uh, framing uh, this view out to the West that talks about uh, the port as a connector and about the one world ocean and how this pavilion really uh, connects the aquarium to this larger world ocean. Uh, next slide, please. So this then is an elevation of that journey from Seattle to the Indo-Pacific and back to Seattle. Um, we do, in, in uh, collaboration with our indigenous design partners, we've developed a series of story clusters, um, one of which uh, is a, serves actually as a prelude to this experience, which is The Ocean Deepens Us. We're working with Sylvia Earle as well um, in this project and have done some interviews with her, and that will be uh, part of the story in that uh, prelude to this then journey under the ocean where we've created these evocations of the bathymetric journey that you take across the Pacific Ocean from Seattle uh, to the Indo-Pacific and back to Seattle. Um, and along that, we've punctuated it with those uh, five sound zones, which we will dive into, each supported by, um, by a graphic uh, interpretation. So uh, next slide. This is then sort of zooming into the the, the sound walk uh, itself. And then next slide, please. Cynthia, do you wanna talk sure. more about the specifics? So, um, you know, starting with zone one, we are introducing visitors to the idea that just outside below the water surface is a whole community that depends on healthy underwater acoustic environments. Next slide. So alongside a, a section illustration of our deep harbor, visitors can hear recordings of ambient noise that can be heard underwater. From marine life to man-made to natural physical sounds, we'll have a can have a topographic map of the Pacific Ocean that orients us on our acoustic journey across the Pacific. Next slide. Moving into zone two, as we travel to the Southern Pacific, we can meet a mother Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphin. Next slide. So each dolphin develops a signature whistle, uniquely her own, and this mother is whistling to her calf, teaching her baby her name. So you'll notice that accompanying each sound recording is a visual translation of its sound waves. Next slide. Moving into zone three, we're opposite our living Indo-Pacific habitat. And the sound walk highlights a very unique case study here. So we experience the sounds before and during Nyepi, or the day of silence in the waters off Bali. This is a time when all commercial activities on land 
ceased for 24 hours, and shipping and fishing ports are closed. Next slide. So ports all over the world, like in Bali, are dealing with the same issues as we are in the Pacific Northwest. And this spectrogram shows the sound of boats alongside fish courses. So ports are connectors. They connect people across oceans, but they're also places where people touch the ocean very directly. Next slide. So as we enter Zone 4, we return to the Pacific Northwest to the sounds of humpback whale singing. Next. And learn that these songs are attracting prospective mates and can be heard across 20 to 99 miles. But interestingly, this research has shown us that whales sometimes stop singing when they hear human-made sounds. And this information has helped lead to guidelines to make ships quieter. Which leads us to Zone 5, where we re-enter Puget Sound with a pod of orcas coming in for salmon season. And at first we hear the sound of a vessel, but when it moves away, the pod's conversation becomes very clear. So the spectrogram here shows the transition between the sound of the vessel and the orca pod. Next. And we learn how the Port of Seattle is creating a community of care through its, quote, bluest port initiatives and programs. So who is part of our ocean community? Wildlife, both under and above water, and people, from conservationists to commercial fishers to commuters and ocean gazers. Next. So how do we create this community of care? How do we balance conservation and commerce? So this concept sketch suggests a large dynamic illustration of our working blue port at the culmination of the exhibit. So from the quiet sound program to electrification of the port, this illustration highlights the people working every day on our waterfront and shorelines to care for our ocean and its members, and the connections between wildlife, people, and our ocean environment. Next. And within the snapshot of a busy port, we reveal the people who make up our community of care from the marine construction worker to the restoration ecologist. Next. To the marine biologist and the vessel technician and the creative green innovations that contribute to sustaining a healthy marine environment where an entire ocean community can thrive. So this is, this is a summary of um, our concept design for this exhibit and I'd like to hand off now to Susan. All right, thank you, Cynthia. I get to be the sweep this afternoon. <laughs> so um, the exciting thing is being able to show you what we have as our design, and you've seen some beautiful renderings, um, but we also want to show you that we are in the process of building uh, this very design. Um, what you see here, as we've talked about, is the public rooftop that connects with the Overlook Walk and the market. Um, those plantings, we've talked about having indigenous engagement. We have, um, as you've heard, indigenous consultants. We have Valerie Seacrest from the Muckleshoot Tribe, who is a, a plant um, native indigenous food sovereignty and plant expert, help us with those plantings along that way. Um, and then we also have uh, Owen Oliver, who is an advisor on cultural um, indigenous culture, doing some sandblasting design work, and then we commissioned Dan Friday, a Lummi um, artist, to do a public art piece as well in this building. All right, next slide, please. 
So it's a very active site. This is our site. You see to the right um, is our main large exhibit, the reef. And what you see is a lot of rebar and formwork going in um, to create that 350,000 gallon um, ecosystem that we're having created there. And the far, far right is the oculus that you saw um, Derek talk about that opportunity to be able to look into the um, exhibit uh, from the outside in. Um, and in the center there, you have that one ocean hall that you heard that virtual digital experience of being able to be immersed in the, in the deep ocean. Um, and then to the left is that at home, which is more of a personal um, opportunity for people to have a personal um, relationship with the animals that are in the aquarium. And then lots of back of house space to support all the, the uh, care for the animals and staff. Let's go to the next. So that reef um, sequence uh, for the formwork, this is a large, as I was saying, large 350,000 gallon um, exhibit. And it is constructed with, um, we had a formwork uh, company, Janicky from Cedra Woolley, so here locally, um, help us with this formwork. They do formwork for boats and airplanes. And this is complicated. There's over 200 pieces and none of the pieces are the same that put together this form before we have uh, come in and, and pour concrete into that area. So a lot, you can imagine lots of management. Let's go to the next slide just to show you also the ironwork that's being done. So all that formwork needs to be supported with ironwork. And not only is this rebar supporting the exhibit that you see, but it also supports that rooftop, um, public rooftop space as well. So there is about 2.5 million pounds of rebar being installed right now. And that is all installed by hand. Do you want to go to the next one, please? Um, which is amazing. If any of you are interested, we'd be happy to bring you on site to take a look at this. But um, this is looking out the window, that large window that you're going to see into this exhibit. Um, but you can see the layers of ironwork there going into this um, process. And the ironwork is having to climb up almost as if they're scaling mountains uh, to be able to install this work. Next, please. Also, we have our structural steel. So we're starting to get closer to starting to work on that second um, level. One of the things, as you all know, on the, on the waterfront is that the soil can be very... Um, let's say a little stable, especially if you have a seismic event. Um, so we worked on this um, property to stabilize that soil. There's over a thousand concrete-like columns that are underneath the ground that help to stabilize and also hold the, the exhibit, um, the large exhibit, as well as the rooftop. So a lot of geotech work that's gone into the site as well. And next slide. And here you see um, the future and looking down the waterfront. Another indigenous um, uh, nod I want to make here in terms of our work with our consultants is that this is um, Alaskan yellow cedar that's being sourced from a Canadian uh, indigenous-owned um, firm, and it's FSE, so certified, um, sustainably certified. Um, and that, again, is representing the importance of uh, Alaskan yellow cedar to our indigenous neighbors. But also, it's an um, a image that, that shows where we are on the waterfront and the importance of, of having that local um, species there as well. 
I want to again thank you um, to all those who were involved in the collaboration um, and for uh, involving us in this partnership. It's been a very exciting process and we look forward to having you down at the opening and early 2024, looking at second quarter 2024. So we look forward to seeing you at that time. Thank you. Thank you all for the presentation. Uh, Commissioner Feldman, do you want to lead off with any additional questions or comments? <coughs> I just want to say thanks so much, and it's great to see the context of the exhibit within the broader vision, and uh, it really is going to be the crown jewel of the waterfront, and the, having the, uh, the peers on either side as an open community gathering place, it really just becomes indoor, inside, outside. It's a, it's a really wonderful thing to have a little part of, and um, for Think Design, I, I you know, we're, we're going to have... Uh, that beautiful chart of the bathymetry of the Pacific Basin. I, I just hope that the um, the artistic rendition along the Sound Walk can have some paralleling to like the uh, what we just saw is the thing because it, it is really just right now a, I think a artistic rendition of bathymetry and it would be really great if we could show a a plateau and then a spreading ridge and then but you see, and that's just what we should be talking about right now, don't you think? And the color. No, I'm kidding. So anyway, thank you again. And I, I just uh, always had a little bit of a problem interpreting the, the mountain range along the waterfront. But are we thrilled? And 2024, it's, it's earlier than the um, South Satellite. <laughs> <laughs> My kids right. will still be kids when they <laughs> Thank you all so much. Um, barring any other questions from commissioners, I think that concludes the presentation. And, and uh, again, thank you so much for coming down to share. Thank you, David. That concludes our business meeting for the day. Before we close the meeting, I would like to give the Florida Executive Director metric. Uh, and if our Executive Interim Chief of Staff and Senior Policy Advisor, Mike Merrick, could you please join us up here, Mike, at the dais? And before we jump in, I just want to note that Commissioner Hasegawa has left at 359. Thanks. I'm asking Mike to sit down here so we can bear some for a minute. Is this the roast? Is this the part we roast him? No. Commissioners, yeah, <laughs> as we finish up, I, I want to mention an upcoming, ch upcoming change in the executive office. And of course, as it's often said, the only constant in life is change. And that's certainly here true here at the port. And it's bittersweet for me to announce that uh, today <laughs> is Mike Merritt's last commission meeting. So, and I don't know how many this is. I'm sure you keep track of them, Mike, every one. 26 years worth. <laughs> At the end of this month, uh, Senior Policy Advisor and Acting Chief of Staff Mike Merritt will be retiring. Mike joined the port in March of 1996 and has had many jobs uh, in his 26 years here at the port, including serving as uh, the uh, um, Commission Chief of Staff before joining us. Uh, since coming over from the Commission Office, myself and others have come to rely on Mike's skills as a policy advisor and his corporate memory about so many things here at the port. Going back, as we know, every time we talk to, step, talk to start about, an, uh, to talk about an issue, it's like, oh, well, you got to go back 10 years or you have to go back 15 years. And Mike has been a, a font of knowledge about those things uh, here at the port and uh, understanding why uh, we are where we're at and many different issues. His ability to keep on top of very complex issues facing the port and his willingness to pitch in where he was needed has proven valuable uh, time and time again. Most recently when he took on the added duties as uh, um, the acting chief of staff. 
Uh, he's provided to me and many others uh, uh, sage uh, advice and counsel, and especially during those interesting days of the last two years during the pandemic when we did that. So, and I just want to have an opportunity to bring Mike up and let him say a couple words, commissioners, and uh, um, and thank him and wish him and his wife Karen the best as they transition to the next phase of life. And I should mention is that he's not here today, but Eric Shinfield will be filling in as the acting chief of staff uh, once Mike leaves. So with I think let's let Mike share comments, and then we can speak at the end. Well, thanks very much. I um, really didn't prepare anything uh, per se, but I have to say I've been thinking over the last uh, few weeks about how would I summarize my time here and how would I express <laughs> how would I express about uh, <clears throat> how I feel about the port? Um, it is emotional for me. It's you know 26 years of my life and coming after a long career as a newspaper man as well. So um, I think I, I I do feel that newspapering was was my goal in life, but. Um, uh, I did find my, my true love here at the port, and uh, I think those of you uh, on around me and, and the commission understand how the port really can kind of grab you and, and uh, uh, affect you in, in a lot of ways. And it's, 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 the institution is, has great goals and it's done wonderful things um, over the years and will continue to do those. And, but uh, beyond what we do and what we build, it's the people of the organization. I mean, all of you around me today and in the audience and, and watching, um, I've come to, uh, to know and to appreciate and respect so many people here who've helped me in my career and helped, you know, whatever success I've had. So that's, a <clears throat> that's the thing I probably miss the most. Um, you know, I just in terms of words, I mean, I think that going forward, um, uh, hold hold to the to the to the overarching objectives of the port I mean think about those think you know what's what's the right thing to do you know use your own judgment about what's the right thing to do because you know the the, the politics and the public pressures of the moment will will come and go and you know they're they're transient but you know um, what what you have in your heart which is what's your judgment is is the way to be guided I believe so um, I think uh, I know that the, the place is in good hands. Um, I just have tremendous respect for, respect for Steve. Um, it was kind of part of the process that, that got him hired, so I, I'm kind of invested in him. So I think he'll, <laughs> he'll do well. Um, you know, there's just, there, there, there are too many people to mention, and uh, I would probably forget a bunch. Uh, but I, I certainly want to mention um, Mick Dinsmore. Um, who was the executive director of the port when I was, when I came here the first time, and I did, I, he helped get me hired. There were other people that, that did so, but um, you know Mick was a was a mentor, although he never kind of acted that way. But I learned a lot from him, and he contributed tremendously to the port, um, and, uh, and gave me a couple jobs. So I appreciate that very much. There are lots of commissioners, but I won't I won't name them because. There are just too many of them, and I don't want to leave anybody out. I would say with the great majority, maybe a couple of exceptions, they were just <laughs> wonderful people that, that I, I embraced. And, and I won't say who, but, but they, they know who they are. They know who they are. So <laughs> no, seriously, every, 
everybody who comes to the Pork Commission um, is, is, is owed a tremendous amount of respect for putting yourselves out to the public and this very tough job. And um, I mean, obviously we, we heard today, you know, thoughts about what the port should and shouldn't do and, and our effects in the, in the community. And um, it doesn't make it easy when you hear those things. I understand that. So anyway, so that's, that's all I got to say. It's just been a wonderful time. Thank you, Mike. Mike, you should turn around. There's a few people that came out. Mike, we'll just uh, take a few minutes ourselves to uh, share a few remarks. I, I want to start by just reminding you that you were the first person to call me when I got the job as a commissioner and uh, introduced the port. And then you, you oversaw my onboarding and uh, pulled no punches during that uh, period um, in that mad scramble uh, between mid-November to January 1st to try to uh, make um, totally green... Um, new commissioner capable of not messing things up early on. And I think you probably did that for <laughs> maybe a few dozen of us uh, over 26 years or part of the onboarding and, and coaching. Um, the things that really struck me in working with you uh, were I always knew that your motivation was pure and sound, that in choosing journalism and then public service, you clearly weren't doing it for the money. Uh, you were doing it for the right reasons, for sure. And that's something I deeply respect. And I know that as um, you enter this new period in your life, I hope that you and Karen have tons of opportunities to ski, spend time with your two daughters, uh, just get out and hike uh, into the beloved outdoors in the Northwest that I know you love so much. Uh, but I also hope that you won't be a stranger and that you'll keep... Um, You'll let us call you when we're desperate and need that institutional knowledge that uh, you have so much of. And uh, also just go out for a beer with us and, and catch up on old times. So thank you so much. And I'm going to turn over to Commissioner Cho. Um, I, I, I knew you had been around for a while, Mike, but I didn't realize you had joined the port in 96, just to make you feel really old, because this is the last time when 96 I was six years old and in first grade. <laughs> so thank you for your tenure here. Um, you know, what can I say? You were probably the first port employee that I had met prior to me joining the port. I figured you got coffee with me because you wanted to scope me out to make sure I was an okay guy to win this seat. But, uh, you know, you were also the first person to, and I think it was you and Peter McGraw who showed up at um, my election night party to congratulate me. And obviously you were our chief of staff uh, when we when I got sworn in and for the first quarter, uh, for the first year. And I can't um, thank you enough for the tremendous amount and wealth of knowledge that you passed on to me, but also all the commissioners here today. You know, uh, it's hard to say these days that one person has been at one place for 25 years, over 25 years. And um, I think I speak for everyone up here when I say that the institutional knowledge that you've, you have from that quarter of a century uh, was invaluable to us, whether it was the issues of taxis or you know the third runway or anything like that. It, we really did lean on you and your knowledge of the port and its history uh, 
in, in making some really, really big decisions. And so um, I really thank you for that. Uh, I realize, obviously, you, you're retiring, but like Ryan said, uh, I believe that your legacy will far out, uh, this institution will far outlast the 25 or six years you've been here. Um, and lastly, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, just like anyone who's been at the port for uh, an extended period of time, you're always welcome back here. Uh, you're part of the port family, uh, whether, you know, uh, you like it or not, <laughs> quite frankly. So you can continue to expect calls from some of us. Uh, just, you know, maybe now you can provide some more unfiltered and impartial thoughts on certain things. But I, I, I look forward to seeing uh, the next chapter of your life. Uh, and keeping in touch. So thank you so much for all, all of your service to this institution. Commissioner Fellman? Well, as the oldest fart on the commission, um, <laughs> I actually do go back, you know, it's like, just like, uh, you know, it was 2000 when I started beating up on the port and, on the cruise ship issues. And so it was just six years, you know, and, and you in particular, right? Um, but so... I, I guess uh, going backwards, you know, Pat Davis still shows up at our receptions. So, you know, in terms of your point, you know, you do not get a pass. You know, we still expect you to show up at our receptions or, you know, testify and tell us how much we're screwing up and stuff like that. But, um, I, you know, and clearly, you know, coming, you know, by the way, I think he's given away more hats to commissioners because he shows up at the commission at, at your inaugural party, right, and then sticks a hat on you and then I think has a string on the back. And then, you know, tries to pull you in the right direction. But um, so I think a lot of, a lot of commissioners wear uh, hats that we've been uh, given to us by, uh, yeah. So, Mike. Um, and, but, I, I, you know, one of the things I really um, will, I, I've repeated many times, um, is that one of the things, like, I knew I could always call you. And it, you know, you, you might have texted me back saying I'm in the middle of dinner, but you would then call me after dinner. And it was like... You know, if you knew if we were going to try to get a hold of you, something was up. And so it didn't matter the day of the week or the time of the day. Your commitment to this organization and to making us successful as a collective was irrefutable throughout and we'll be forever grateful. So thank you. Any other? Oh, I think I see Commissioner Mohammed joining us. Is that true? Yes. Commissioner yeah. Mohammed. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Well, I, I just want to pile on as well. Um, Mike, uh, hopefully the commissioners you were mentioning liking are the new commissioners and not... <laughs> I'll just stop there. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, it has been really great getting to know you. I um, value the number of conversations we've had. Um, you've been a thought partner in this short period of time that I've been at the port, and I, I really appreciate um, the conversations that we've had, and um, your institutional knowledge will definitely be missed. I think all of the commissioners can agree on that. Um, and, you know, I hope you get some time to reflect and celebrate all of your hard work and achievement as a public servant. Um, that is no big, that's no small thing, and I hope you get to inspire other folks out there to go into public service. Um, yeah, and I just, I wish you many healthy days and, and happy memories during your retirement period. And I hope you get to enjoy these next few years and do things that are just really, really fun. Thank That's you, Commissioner Mohammed. 
Um, and, and with that, I think we're going to wrap up. Mike, if you'd like, we can create a taxi advisory board. And you can be the sole <laughs> member if you'd like. <laughs> Commissioner Cho? Yeah, if, 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 uh, before we close, actually, we have one more person we should acknowledge. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Brown, uh, as I understand, is also leaving the port. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this would also be his last port commission I meeting. I think we have one more before one more. Then. Don't we have a Yeah. So we will oh, we do. Yeah. Are you, are you yeah. sure about that? Um, because I think the seaport yeah, lines. One, one more. Isn't he gone the ninth? Oh, okay. All right. In that case, I'll save my remarks for that. <laughs> All right. Okay. And uh, so, with that, are there any other closing comments? From I just want to say, just in regards to Mike, I know that uh, um, upcoming up. So we'll see you retire coming up here, but the retiree luncheon is coming up the first or second week of October. We'll see you there at Salty's. Oh, great! <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, uh, commissioners. Any other <laughs> items to refer to committee, or any other closing comments? I just want to acknowledge that this is the second night of Rosh Hashanah. It's a thousand-year-old holiday, and it starts a ten-day period of reflection. And um, ending in Yom Kippur, this is the new year, and so we all take a moment to reflect on what we hope to, what we kind of screwed up last year, and what we hope to do better. Uh, this year, and um, and for those who haven't put themselves through it, you know, Ken Burns just completed a six-part documentary, six hours, three parts, on the Holocaust. If you really want to bum yourself out, I, I make it that uh, a uh, was signed reading, but it's what I think was really the most important part of it. The first half of it, there's no gore, but the um, the complicitness of the American people the uh, level of you know the same intolerance we have about immigration and things like that are true today the last episode is about trump so it takes it right up to the current the the thread that runs through our culture um in fact you know hitler was saying that how can you criticize me when we see how you treated native americans and african americans so it's a it's a lesson learned beyond just the jew issue and uh so be that as it may i uh Wish you all a happy new year. Any other comments from commissioners? Okay, and I was, uh, it's hard to follow that, but I do have some, um, what I think is positive news. Uh, I just returned from a trip to Nordic countries with Leanne, as well as Sarah Auger, and um, we had an opportunity, and Melissa Parks, uh, we had an opportunity to visit uh, Finland, then Sweden, and then Norway, and see some of the most uh, innovative approaches to sustainability, particularly in the maritime arena, and also examine some of the ways in which uh, the port can support economic development in a sustainable way. And so over the course of the next few weeks and months, we're going to be rolling out some of the ideas that we got from that. So we're going to give executive director metric all sorts of headaches with new requirements, <laughs> no. uh, but new opportunities, I think, for trying to achieve those sustainability goals that we have in our maritime and aviation division. So it was an extraordinary trip for us to come back with some great ideas. Any last comments, executive yeah, director? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to have to correct myself. So I think you're right, Commissioner Cho, Yeah, is that so it's I'd like to take a yeah. second to acknowledge yeah. and thank Jeffrey for his tenure here at the port. He's also leaving us, uh, I, I'm, I was told October 7th, and our next commission meeting is October 11th. So um, Jeffrey, if you're listening, thank you for your 
time at the port. You've been invaluable, especially during the pandemic when we went through uh, a, a record amount of, um, you know, droppage in, in flight passengers and stuff, and, and, and we're going to dearly miss you. If my colleagues want to comment as well, they should. Is Mr. Brown on the line? You can see him? Okay. All right. So I... I can you turn on your camera, Jeffrey, if it's not on already? Oh, okay. Well, for what it's worth, I, I wrote Jeffrey a note this morning to just say how much we will miss him uh, and a few of the comments that I shared with him that I, I think pertain. Uh, he is someone who um, carries with him an extraordinary amount of integrity in dealing with issues that are, for us, some of the most contentious issues that we have to deal with, whether that's supporting efforts like the um, commercial aviation committee that was set up by the state in, in trying to cite a second commercial aviation facility, uh, working with the Highline Forum, working on issues related to uh, noise and air pollution in our neighborhoods and communities around the airport. And he always did so in such a way that uh, demonstrated how much he cares for our team as well. And so we're going to miss him greatly, uh, whether Jeffrey can hear us or not. Um, and uh, at the same time, we wish him all of the best in his new endeavor. And uh, we understand that he will be uh, in sunnier climes where, wherever he's going. And so I'm hoping that I can go visit him there, wherever it is. But um, with that, I think we'll wrap up the meeting. For, Lance, okay. and I, Lance and I are actually colluding to put Jeffrey on a no-fly list so he can actually leave Seattle. So. <laughs> okay, Just Commissioner Fellman. All right. I, I mean, I, I have um, very little to add other than... Um, it's one thing to have a contentious job and hard work and all that stuff. But Jeffrey had a radiance about his sort of, he gave off this really positive energy that kind of, yeah, he wouldn't know how encumbered has. the work. He's, he hasn't, he's, I know, no, he's still I'm here. I'm saying I, <laughs> in his capacity <laughs> here, um, you know, we, we all bear burdens in the work that we do. His burdens were not carried heavily in front of us. And... And that spirit that he brings to the task was very much contagious and greatly appreciated. And he will take that with him, I'm sure, wherever he goes. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Yeah, um, yeah, Jeffrey, if you're, if you're listening to this, um, I am really sad to see you leave the port of Seattle. Um, I have appreciated the time that I have the short period of time that we've spent together working together. Um, I've appreciated your honesty, your way of not holding back, and um, the many years of public service you've put in and um, the work that you've done in the aviation field um, here at the Port of Seattle. Um, I really appreciate um, uh, you serving as part of the aviation committee and all the updates and information you've provided to us and uh, the work that you've done on the Washington Airport Task Force. Um, you're full of knowledge and you share that knowledge in a way that is straightforward and gets to the point. And I um, just, you, you know, value uh, your way of thinking and I'm really sad to see you leave the Port of Seattle. And, um, but I am wishing you a lot of luck in your next endeavor and new job and wishing the best for you and your family. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohammed. All right, hearing no further comments and having no further business, 
If there is no objection, we are adjourned at 4.29 p.m. Thank you all so much.